podcast is part of the Pod Syndicate family. For more criminally compelling shows, articles, and conversations, head to wearepodsyndicate.com. everybody and welcome back to the rewatch project with hannah and mike i am mike as you can probably guess <laughs> by my obvious gender i thought you were gonna say i'm hannah <laughs> i am hannah uh, well a swap you know uh i am mike and hello um, i'm mike and that's uh that um that mocking person you can hear over there is hannah how are you i'm well thank you how are you i'm very good i'm very good so um so yes so it's we, like we've never spoken to each other i know it's very well you know you've got to you, you've got to get into some radio logic Indeed. a little bit here i guess yeah. We're waiting for WandaVision, so we decided it was the perfect time to podcast. That is quite right, yes. So um, we have reached the end uh, of Season 1 of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., so we thought maybe it would be useful to have a brief pit stop um, between seasons and just kind of take stock. Uh, and we've also um, had a uh, email question-challenge issued. So um, before we get into those specific things, though, I just want to remind you guys how you can reach us and certainly encourage you to do that. We are part of the Pod Syndicate family of podcasts. That's official now, finally. We're actually Woo-hoo! up on the page, so uh, you can go and find our stuff there. It's only taken um, us how many episodes? Yeah, well, no, it's quite good. It's good, though. It's good to have a decent amount of back catalogue, though. Absolutely. Because, uh, yeah. you know, we don't look like Wouldn't a... Wouldn't want to uh, be up there with one episode. Yeah, exactly. We're, we, we, we don't want to look like <laughs> a, a, a bunch of cowboys. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so you can go over to wearepodsyndicate.com and uh, you can enjoy and discover and download some like-minded podcasts. Uh, and also, we are on Twitter at rewatchproj. And as always, we'd like to encourage you to email us at rewatchprojectpodcast at gmail.com. So, what we're going to do today is um, we're going to do a um, sort of several categories uh, look back at season one. So, namely, we will be looking at our top three episodes, our favorite three episodes each of the season. Uh, we'll be doing our MVP, so our sort of most valuable player or most valuable person or performer in this instance, perhaps. Yeah. Um, so that's the the crew member or a cast member or whoever who we feel is um, the MVP. And we're also going to do the biggest surprise in rewatching. Um, but before we get onto that, we received an email a couple of days ago. So this is from Nicole, who has been in contact before, I believe. Do you want to read it, Anna? Absolutely. Hi guys, Nick here again. I gotta know, how do you rank the MCU films from worst to best, or least favourite to favourite, or whatevs? I don't ask for much, hey. Full list below for your convenience. Do it. Do it. LOL. You see, whenever I hear that, I always hear it in... um, Do it. No, I I hear it in uh, Emperor Palpatine (laughs) from Revenge of the Sith, where he's like, do it. (laughs) Do it, fucking do it. Um, Thank you, because um, I love being asked what my favourite thing is. Yes, yes. We're we're both um, sort of never happy that we're doing a list. I think also it's useful. Love a list. Because we are... um, And and let's let's do this first, actually, because now it's sort of fresh in mind. Um, I think it's useful to point out that... um, I think this is useful to do this, I should say, because obviously we're talking about the MCU a lot. Mm. And uh, I suppose getting a sense of, uh, you know, now there's been 23 films, 24 is coming soon. I think it's useful to get a sense of what your preferences are mm. in that series. Yeah. So uh, so what, what the way that we're going to do this is... Um, We'll obviously we'll start with twenty three and we'll go down to uh, number one. Uh, so we'll start um, we'll start with Hannah. Hannah will tell us what her twenty third favourite is. So 
least favourite, I guess. And then I'll do mine and we'll sort of tag team back to them. But it's important to point out that a lot of the time with these things, people try and make distinctions between are you saying it's the best or are you saying it's your favourite? I think really we're just saying... You can only say it's your favourite. Yeah, yeah, we're not trying to make (laughs) out that this is some kind of objective critical list. No, absolutely. And I'm coming at this from every opinion that I have is based on what makes me happy and what makes me sad. So I am in no way a professional critic or I'm definitely not smarter than anybody else. I'm just, this is my opinion. I would also add to that that this is subject to change. Absolutely. Because what I found is every so often Hannah and I will... Will um, you know? We, we've done a couple of full-on rewatches at different points, but what you got to remember is, is that every time we do a rewatch, there are new films in there. So, for example, Spider-Man: Far From Home, we've only seen once. Yeah. So uh, we're more likely to rediscover that. So sometimes we'll do a rewatch and we'll be like, actually, I really like this one. Mm. Um, There's a couple in my list yeah. that are a bit like that. And so I think that. If I'd have done this list just a few months ago, it would have been very different. And if I did it again in a few months, it would be really different. I I agree, but I think for me, the only movement in that sense is probably in the bottom half. So, like, I'm not saying the bad films, but my top ten isn't want to change that much. Yeah, and it's also worth pointing out that related to that, and I've said this before a lot of times on the other podcasts that I do that. I've always compared, um, in many ways, the MCU, Marvel Cinematic Universe films, in a lot of ways, to the Harry Potter films, Mm. in the way that I think that there's not a huge amount of difference. If I was to rank these, because I I always rank out of 10. Whenever Mm. I've written film reviews, I always sort of, you know, I think there's more uh, nuance if you rank out of 10 than if you rank out of 5, for example. Um, And I, I feel that probably... The weakest film in these is still probably a six and a half, seven out of ten. Yeah, and the top one is you know quite high. So what I would say is is that all of these films exist within a two or three point difference. Absolutely. Um, oh, there's not. It's not. We're not saying that one is absolute shite, and the and one, one at the top is, is like classic, the Godfather. It's, amazing. Uh, it's just. What's our least favourite to what's our most favourite? Okay, yeah, yeah, I agree. And, and I've, so really, this is kind of a um, a thought experiment as much as anything. Mm. Okay, so um, before we get into it, just a, one last quick disclaimer as well that's probably worth mentioning, because I don't want to make um, any assumptions of knowledge from mm. people, because I know that we do have listeners who are watching um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, for the first time, is that it's worth clarifying that when we say the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, what we mean is films produced by Marvel Studios. So you're not going to see the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films you're not going to see the X-Men movies you're not going to see uh, Ben Affleck's Daredevil no um uh, and it is the movies that started with Iron Man and finished with Spider-Man Far From Home yeah so it's um it's worth clarifying at that point so okay so there are 23 movies uh on this list um I of course have now lost my list um, if you're yeah, well, on. that's why you write it down with a pen and paper, old school. Yep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, there we go. Okay, so um, Hannah, what is your uh, least favourite, i.e. number 23 on your list of Marvel MCU films? My number 23 is The Incredible Hulk. Okay. I feel like that is the most disconnected from the rest of the MCU. It was an okay film. 
um, very much a six and a half out of ten, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But it's the one I enjoyed the least, and I, I just didn't feel like it sat in the same world. And when we've rewatched the MCU films, we've skipped that. Uh, my number 23 is The Incredible Hulk. Oh, well, hallelujah. Um, it's, although it's not for me, I know I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but for me it's not because it's disconnected from the rest of the series. It's just that I think that it's an interesting one because very early on nobody knew that this was a shared universe. So in some ways The Incredible Hulk's really important because it was the, it was the second film, it was the mm. second MCU film, and... The moment that the world of geeks realised that this was a shared universe was in this film, so it's kind of important in that regard. Mm. But I just think that it's it is a fun. Is Iron Man at the end of it? Is uh, this the one where he yeah, comes in start, at the end? Up, yeah. yeah, it's an entertaining, it's a fun film. I prefer it to the Ang Lee Hulk that was made a couple of years before. I haven't seen uh, with Eric Banner, which is just boring. And I think it has got good stuff going for it. I but, thought Liv Tyler was good in it. Yeah, everybody was fine. I think that really for me, the standouts of it were. Just the fact that it actually felt comic booky because when the Hulk had been done before, it had been very earnest and very serious. Whereas this was the first time we'd ever actually seen the Hulk fighting against a sort of similar supervillain. So I enjoyed it on that level, but it's just not as funny and as confident feeling as the I, other Marvel films. Why have they not done any more standalone Hulk? Because films? Um, Universal own the rights to the Hulk as a character, oh. um, as a standalone character. So they would have to go into one of those weird deals like they did with Sony for Spider-Man. Oh, okay. So it's just not worth the hassle. So, But they can still use Hulk, but they just can't have him being in his own film. Because that's a shame, because like, our son is Hulk-obsessed. Yeah. Um, and I think he would absolutely lose his mind mm. if he could go to a Hulk film. Yeah, and also I think the, the other issue with this film is I don't think that Edward Norton has the lightness of touch no. that you need. Yeah. Because um, originally, I remember at the time... Mark Ruffalo was so much Mark better. Ruffalo was great. But at the time, the rumour was, and I think this would have been perfect, was that it was going to be David Duchovny. Oh, yeah. And I think he'd have been really solid as well, because yeah. he can do comedy as well. Yeah. And I think you need somebody who can do both He's a bit more Ruffalo yeah. than Norton. Whereas Edward Norton, I think he's a good actor, but he's not an inherently likeable presence. No, he's not. Um... And, yeah, so for those reasons, that's at the bottom. Okay, so what's your 22? Number 22 for me is Iron Man 2. Okay. I definitely enjoyed this film, but I felt I felt like they needed to put a bit too much into it. Like, there was... They'd obviously been given a remit of what they needed to include in the film, and it was just a wee bit broad for the length of the running time you know I I think they just crammed a bit too much in um I definitely enjoyed it but I didn't I didn't think that oh what's his name Mickey Rourke yeah I didn't think he was the best bad guy I thought he like I mean he was comic booky but he was a bit almost a bit pantomime yeah villain and I think there was scope for it to be done better but and and I think you could also see the scheduling in it. Like, you could see what they were trying to achieve to hit the mark for the next film. Mm-hmm. So that kind of, it, it made it less immersive than, than um, you know, the first Iron Man, which is far further up the list for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
I, I mean, I, I was surprised when we did the last rewatch. I really enjoyed Iron Man 2 a lot more than I remember. And it really improved in my eyes. But that's not enough to stop it from being my 22. Hey, <laughs> I mean, uh, all, for all the reasons you said. The other, the other thing is as well, is that I think that um, they repeated the story arc for Robert Downey Jr. in the first one. Because the first yeah, one, did. he was a dick. And then he learned to not be a dick again. And then and he then was just a dick just, again. And, and also, yeah. I think in the second one, in the first one, he was kind of a fun dick. He was like a good guy. He was just that he was drunk all the time, so he acted mm. like a bit of a dick. Yeah. But in the second one, I think he was he was a real dick. He's just a bit of a knob. Um, yeah. And I think that they thought that maybe um, Danny Jr.'s charisma was enough, and it kind of was. But I think that that combined with the amount of setup that they were doing for Avengers, which was fine. I think that you know they needed to do that, and it was nice seeing Samuel L. Jackson. It was nice seeing all the stuff. But I think that that, on top of the Mickey Rourke stuff, and then on top of that, you've got all of the... Um, oh, what's his name? Moon. Actor, I can never remember his name. Sam Rockwell. Sam, all the Sam Rockwell stuff. It feels like one of those three things needed to go. Mm. If you're going to be setting up the S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff, that's fine. But don't have the, the Sam Rockwell competitor sort of storyline and the Mickey Rourke one. Pick one of them. Um, Absolutely. I although it does feature one of my favourite sequences which is just an action sequence at the end that's Rhodey and um, Robert Downey Jr. fighting off all these drones and these other robots. And they're just having a great time. Like, they're blasting stuff. And he's like, do you see that? Do you see what I just did? <laughs> and he's like, look, watch this, watch this. And that sequence is really fun. But the film feels a bit fat, mm. you know? I think one of the best things about the film is no Terence Howard the fact that he wanted more money yeah. was such a good thing. It was yeah. such a blessing because yeah. you get, um, I can't think of his name, who plays Rhodey. I'm terrible with names today. Um, I'm just, um, he I'm... plays the Cockney in Ocean's Eleven. He plays a Cockney in loads of things. I can't believe I can't I think of his name. name. But he, like, he is excellent in the role and has... Don wa- Cheadle. And Don I, Cheadle. He came to me course. just before. Yeah. Yeah, so um, but he Don has, Cheadle is He has better. so much gravitas to his performance even when it's light and comedic he still brings it well or, or crucially you believe that him <clears throat> and um danny jr were, were friends yeah absolutely you know, and that he, yeah. that he would put up with it but um but um yeah cool okay, okay. Um, so now we are at number 21 what's that for you um it looks like i've got something against the franchise but iron man 3 okay. is number 21 for me um I definitely enjoyed it, but um, I didn't really like the, you know, multiple Iron Men. Um, I think the first time I watched it, I had I I just didn't have a great experience watching it, and not for any reason other than um, we had an absolute apartment full of people um, because it was just around our wedding mm. it was either just before or we just after yeah in we, a flat we lived in a two bedroom flat um it was very small and we had uh one two three four five six adults and one two and a half year old child um so you know, which was fine, but it was full. But you have rewatched it since then, so, I, so you've I given have, it a fair shake. I have. I've watched it two or three times yeah. since then. Um, yeah, so I'm not just going off that one viewing, but 
I I didn't really like it the first time I saw it, and I thought maybe it was just because of the environment I was watching in it, and I wasn't really concentrating mm. that hard. But watching it again, um, I didn't like Guy Pearce. Like I like him as an actor, but I just Guy Pearce I just didn't like felt him in a it. little bit like something out of the Joel Schumacher Batman movies. Yeah, yes, that's right, actually. Particularly Jim, you know, like the nerdy bits at the beginning yeah. where he's got the glasses and the greasy hair. It felt like Jim Carrey at the beginning of Batman Forever before he got, got turned into the Riddler. And That's interesting you say that because we've spoken before how I'm just, I just don't really connect with DC mm. stuff. And perhaps that's why it, it is. It did feel very it, DC. It felt a bit DC. Yeah. And I just, I just found it very hard to connect with. Okay. Cool, okay. It's weird, from what you're saying, I almost feel like I'm surprised that Iron Man 2 and Iron Man 3 weren't switched in that regard then. I, I enjoyed it slightly more than yeah. Iron Man 2, though. Okay, well, this is where you and I have had our first divergence, because my 21 is not Iron Man 3, so that is okay. obviously higher at my list. Mm-hmm. My number 21 is Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Right, okay. Guardians of the Galaxy 1, I think, was an important film in the MCU in the same way that I think Captain America and Thor were in the way that when Thor came out people were like people aren't going to accept this people Mm. accepted Iron Man because it's a real dude people accepted the Hulk because we're just used to the Hulk Mm. Um, but Thor's a god how the hell are you going to have that coexist and it did and it was successful Mm. Captain America people like flag waving American hero in an era where you know, George W. Bush is, you know, president. And, yeah. uh, no one's going to accept that. And they did. Guardians of the Galaxy came out and people were like, this is like a crazy son of a bitch of a film. People aren't going to accept this. And they did. Mm. Guardians of the Galaxy 2 felt a little bit like Marvel thinking, we can do anything now. And, and I feel that lo- loads of elements of Guardians of the Galaxy 1 that people liked, they dialed up a little bit in this one. Like, so for example, you know, Drax. Yes. How? Uh, oh, the fact that he takes everything yeah, literally. It's like that goes up to 11. Mm. The fact that Rocket Raccoon's a bit of a dick, that goes up. And a little bit like the dislikability of Stark in Iron Man 2, I felt that Guardians of the Galaxy 2 kind of was a little bit high on the smell of its own farts. I'll tell you what, though, that the funeral scene at the end, um, who's the... The blue dude, the character that... Um, oh, you, uh, yo, oh... Um, the main guy. Yeah, the Michael Rooker character. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The send-off that they have for him, oh, my God, that made me bore my eyes out. <laughs> it was so well done. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I have to go with the caveat that I like all of these films, but mm. I feel... Oh, and, and same for me. And, like, and, even when I'm, I'm being negative about something, I've enjoyed and, and every I, single I, one I, of them. I don't them. want to give anything away too much, but I'm going to have to a little bit here about the future release, but I do feel that the Guardians of the Galaxy films, are, in my opinion, are a little bit overrated, purely mm. because... Yeah. I I don't I I find the I, I agree I find the aesthetic <clears throat> to be a little bit too far on the green screeny side of things for what I like um, and I prefer I, the soundtrack to the movies yeah yeah and, and I, 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 I don't get me wrong I really like them yeah but I know a lot of people who they're right at the top for the MCU yeah. for them and for me they're not and for me the second one is the lesser of them so by the default. Yeah. It's number tw- 21 on my list. You know, uh, it, even though you and I haven't 
got that film in the same ranking, we are so um, in sync in terms of what we think of it. I don't enjoy it. I mean, I, I'd happily sit and watch it now. Cool. Okay, so Hannah, what is your number 20? My number 20 is uh, the first of the Avengers films, ensemble films, um, not not the first one, but my first mention of the oh, ensemble okay. films. You look really shocked there <laughs> for a, a second. Sorry, I said that the wrong Unfortunate choice of words. Yeah, yeah. Um, is Age of Ultron. Okay. I enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong, I did enjoy it, but it was my least favourite of the ensemble films. I don't like Ultron. Okay. Um, I, I found it a hard storyline to try and connect to. Um, but I like, I do like it for some parts of it. I like that it brings in the Scarlet Witch mm-hmm. um, and I can't remember her brother's name, Speedy Man. Oh, uh, Quicksilver. That's the one, Speedy Man. Old, fast, old fat legger. <laughs> <laughs> not faster than a bullet, though, is he? <laughs> no, it would seem not. Um, Spoiler alert. I do, I do like that it, it um, introduces... And the vision as well, of course. ...her character. And, yes, and the vision. Um, and apt, really, that we're talking about that now because WandaVision is on tonight yes. and we're waiting to watch it. Mm. There were certainly bits that were good in it. Um, I just I didn't really like Ultron as a... A bad guy. Although I did think the premise of having the bad guy be something that Tony Stark has created to be a good thing, yeah, um, quite interesting. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Uh, my number twenty is Thor: The Dark World. Ah, okay. And now um, I'm going to stop now with the. I really like this butt disclaimer. I think you can yeah. just assume that that's assume the case. Assume we liked it, yeah. For, for, so for, we're going to nitpick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, very similar to what you've just said about um, about Age of Ultron in a way that I... Like the villain, the... I, I mean, I, I even forgot that Christopher Eccleston was in this. He's the villain, isn't it? He just kind of is... Oh, yeah. It's like you said. I, I, I didn't really connect with it. Mm. But like all of the Marvel films where the overall caper is something I don't connect with there are lots of great moments um, and there's a lot of great humour in this film and I like the fact that they um, this is the last time that they do the kind of fish out of water humour you know like in the first film you've got Thor like drinking a beer in a diner and smashing it on the floor like I need another one wench and they do stuff in this film like they've got him on the underground and stuff like that Mm -hmm. I think it's a good looking film I think that um, it's um, it's value to the series becomes clearer later in later installments. Mm. But ultimately, I just think that it's just not as good as the ones that I've ranked higher. Yeah, for sure. So now, Hannah, what have you got at number 19? So 19, I've got Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Okay. Um, so I knew, like, we're not too far off each other. Yeah. Um, I have completely the same opinion. It's just I enjoyed it more than the ones I've mentioned yeah. before. <laughs> I think there's going to be a lot of that. Um. And like I say, I really, I thought that the final, the funeral scene at the end was supremely emotional yeah. and really well done. Yeah. What's your 19? My number 19 is Avengers Age of Ultron. <laughs> um, for all the reasons that you said, yeah. uh, it doesn't connect. Although in a weird way, 
One of the things that I quite like about this is that although it does have ramifications in the sense that all of the Sokovia Accord stuff yeah. comes out of it, the thing I quite like about this is it's almost a standalone. Yeah. And you've got all of the other Avengers films, and I, I even count my, um, Captain America's Civil War in this, which is almost an Avengers film. They're all these huge seismic kind of things. And uh, I mean, particularly once you get into like, you know, Infinity War and Endgame. So I like the fact that when they were plotting out, plotting it out, it's almost as though they thought, well, let's just do an Avengers adventure. Because in the comics, you know, the Avengers would just have these adventures that mm. go up against, you know, villain of the week. And you can't do that in the movies. It's got to be a big thing. So one of the things that I think makes this the less interesting of the Avengers films or the big event MCU films is actually one of the things weirdly that I kind of like about it. I like the fact that it just feels like almost an episode in Avengers, the TV show, yeah. just a really big budget one, but where it falls down is, and Joss Whedon's grumbled about interference in this film in the same way that John Favreau grumbled about interference in Iron Man 2. Did Joss Whedon write this? Yes. Okay. Um, but, um, when John Favreau was making Iron Man 2, and this is, the, I believe, the reason why he didn't come back and direct 3, was that Kevin Feige was like, we need you to do set-up stuff for the Avengers. Okay. And Favreau wasn't really happy with that. Mm. And there were a lot of um, notes that Whedon got in this film as well. And in the same way with Iron Man 2, you can kind of tell. You can mm. tell that this film was being pulled in a few different directions. Yeah. Um, but there are a lot of great moments here. I mean, one of my favourite scenes in the entire MCU is that bit, and this is a pure Whedon scene, when they're all trying to lift Thor's hammer and they're all kidding around. Yeah. And there's a moment where it looks like it moves and Thor laughs, but you can see behind the eyes, he's like, shit, that yeah. looked like... Um, and there's, there's moments like that peppered throughout the entire film that are wonderful. Yeah. Um, and um, But ultimately... Um, there are 19 other films that I prefer more. Yeah. Um, and that's it. Yeah. So speaking of which, um, Hannah, what is your number 18? Um, Thor The Dark World. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. So um, obviously everything you've said I agree with. Um, the only thing I would add to it is on rewatch, I enjoyed it a lot more. And after seeing all of the films and where it ends, going back and watching it, I felt it had more value than the first time I yeah. watched it. It's a good-looking film as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and a lot of fun. And, and yeah, there was a lot in there that I hadn't spotted first time round. So for that, it yeah. moved up slightly in my list. In a related thing, actually, sorry, the, the comment that I just made about it being a good-looking film was remind me of another thing that I actually really like about Age of Ultron and why I think I've got it slightly higher than you. Mm. In some ways, I think it's probably the artiest of the MCU films. Mm. Like, there's a lot of... Like, you know all that stuff with all those weird dream sequences that the characters have because they've had that kind of spell put on them. Oh, yeah. Um, there's a kind of... There's a weirdness to Age of Ultron that I kind of appreciate that you don't see in all of the other ones. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I should have remembered to say that at the time. Um, okay, so your number 18 was... Um, For the Dark For World. the Dark World. Okay, um... So, my number 18 is Iron Man 3. Okay. Now, 
I agree with you for all the reasons where I think... Uh, bottom six are basically the same, just sort of slightly orders. jumbled around. But but at the same time, I think I think one one ranking difference can say a lot. Oh, you yeah, know? for sure. Um, like there's somewhere I, you know, I, I, I paced the room thinking, should that be 16 and that be 17 or vice versa? Because, you know, this <laughs> shit means this is important stuff. Um, I, I actually um, really like Iron Man 3. And I think, again, this is a testimony to the MCU that there's 23 films. We're on number 18. And this is a film that I legitimately like. Mm. Um, The things that I think don't work about it are, I think, the central caper element, the extremist thing, Mm. I don't think works very well. I think that's done much better in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. And that's a, a thing with a lot of the MCU films is that the actual antagonist or the antagonistic element often aren't the strongest. That's something that DC do very well. But Marvel, Star Trek as well, Star Trek's always struggled with antagonists a little bit. Um, because that's not what's, that's not what's interesting about them. No. I mean, in, in DC, in some ways, the villains are more interesting. I think Catwoman and the Joker and the Penguin and the Riddler, they're way more interesting than Batman and Superman and Wonder oh, Woman. Oh, 100%. Um, but in, the, in DC, in Marvel, it's the opposite. The heroes are the interesting characters, mm. kind of, I suppose, as it should be. Yeah. So I think all of those elements don't work. But what I think does work is the fact that ultimately, this is not an MCU film. This is a Shane Black film. Mm. So it's set at Christmas. The, the the big action sequence at the end isn't Iron Man. It's Don Cheadle and Robert Downey it's Jr. It's Lethal Weapon. In their street clothes, yeah. quipping their way through a mansion, trying to catch Ben Kingsley, yeah. who's really, you know, not even an actual villain and just like a cockney geezer. Yeah. It's, it's basically, it's a Shane Black film where he's kind of put on top of it MCU elements just so he can make a film. And that comes out of the fact that he gave Robert Downey Jr. a break when no one else would. He mm. gave him um, the... Um, kiss, 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 bang, kiss, bang. Uh, bang, bang, when no one else would give him work. Um, and that's a great film. Yeah. And, um, the, and Shane Black was struggling at this point in his career, so Robert Downey Jr. was like, I will do Iron Man 3, but, I, but I, want my, I want my boy to do it, you know? Yep. So I think its weaknesses are that Shane Black doesn't really know how to make a Marvel film, but Shane Black knows how to make a Shane Black film. Mm. And Robert Downey Jr., He's really good at being in Shane Black films. Yeah. So for that reason, I actually really like it. Well, I, there's lots in it's it got, that works. It's, it's a Christmas movie mm. as well, you know, so it's another film that you can add to that. I really like the relationship between Stark and the young boy. The yes, fact that it's that not done nice. sentimental, where the, the kid tells me sob story and he's like, okay, kid, we all have bad things happen. Don't be a pussy. <laughs> <laughs> Just, and, like, and it's not about a cop out. That's literally how he kind of treats the character. Actually, that was, that was one element I did like about it, like Iron Man going on a road trip. Well, the idea is he's had all of his stuff taken away from him. Um, and I also like the fact that it's weird. All the stuff that I like about this film are the things that are problematic about it as well. Mm. This was the first film to come out after the first Avengers film. So what they, I think they chose to do I think that probably was, hurt my viewing of And it. I think they wanted to yeah. make a smaller film. They were yeah. like, well, we can't compete with that. So let's just have a film about Tony Stark dealing with a shit situation. Yeah. Um, and I like that about it, but also, but it also makes the film feel very small. Mm. But, um, but yeah, yeah so that's no, my, right. um, that's my number 18. What's your number 17? Uh, my number 17 is Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay. Um, your earlier comment about you don't think that they're, you think they're overrated, yeah. I completely agree with. Still love them. Oh, absolutely still love them. And um, 
really enjoy a rewatch of of the first one particularly um but there are 16 other films that I in the in the series that I prefer to Guardians of the Galaxy yeah. I enjoyed it the casting's brilliant oh what the a great casting cast. is amazing I think they all do an excellent job with their characters. I like. I don't think anyone is a weak link. Yeah. Um, I mean, who'd have thought watching Parks and Rec that Andy Dwyer yeah. could be the any? Any does it? Karen Karen Gillian yeah. from Doctor Who. Yeah. Like, I think she is amazing. A Scottish television actor. Yeah. You know, I mean, she is fantastic. Yeah. Um, you know, there is so much good stuff in there. Yeah. Um, and it's a solid film. Like, I, for me, it's like an eight and a half, nine out of ten. It's not a bad film And it at opened all. up the Marvel Universe into space and yeah. did all of that stuff yeah. as well, which is like, really important. amazing. Um, but, yeah, that's that's my number 17. There are other, there are other films on the list yeah. that I prefer. Okay. Um, my number 17 is Spider-Man Homecoming. Right. So that's the first of the Tom Holland Spider-Man films. Okay. Um Tom Holland is, was born to play Peter Parker. Yeah. Um, he's a wonderful piece of casting. And not not obvious, but, I mean, one of the great things about him is that he uh, he looks young, mm. you know. Um, and I think this is a, a great, fun film. I like the fact that they don't feel compelled to mm. make the um, do the origin storyline again. Because we've already seen it I twice agree. in, like, the yeah. ten years before it. I uh, think tonally he is... Fantastic. Yeah, I, I like the fact that they take it back to high school and keep yeah. it in high school for like a couple of the films. Um, I like the fact that, that he's got that relationship with Tony Stark. That was a big part in the comic books. Mm-hmm. In the comic books, when the, in the I've original, I've not read the comic books. But what so. they did, well, I mean, in the comic books they reboot every year. But there was this huge, one of the biggest ever events in Marvel comics was the Marvel Civil War series that ran mm-hmm. across all the different comic books. Yeah, and in that. A big part of it was Tony Stark um, became Peter Parker's mentor and brought the technology and stuff. Mm. And they don't go into as much detail as that, but seeing that um, in films was was really good. And it just, it really captures the spirit of the comic books. It's a real New York film. Yeah. And New York is such an important part of Spider-Man, like the cartoon. And it's, you know, I mean, the original... Queens from Queens. The, the, exactly. I mean, I mean the, and the Sam Raimi films reference that, you know, and they were, they, they, those films came out, were, were made before 9-11, but came out after 9-11. Mm-hmm. Like, like the trailer was Spider-Man on webbing between the, the two towers, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, sorry, the twin towers, there we go again. And, um, but by the time the it film came out... Mordor. Yeah. But by the time the film came out, they didn't exist anymore. And there's moments in the film that I think are collective call to arms, like the bit where, you know, the New Yorkers are throwing stuff at Willem Dafoe, you know, saying, he's a New Yorker, pal, you, you mess with one of us, you mess with all of us mm. and all that. But I just think that that the the um, the Tom Holland, the MCU Spider-Man films, are even more about that. And there are changes, it does make changes. But um, it's just such a, a, a fun, likeable film. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, there's some that I like more. Yeah, you know? yeah. And also the other thing is we've been spoiled. There's been other good Spider-Man films. Those first two um, Sam Raimi Spider-Man films are wonderful, mm. and this is also really good as well. But it doesn't didn't have, doesn't have that visceral effect that seeing Iron Man brought to the screen for the first time has. And when Iron Man was brought to the screen for the first time, it was perfect. And so so I'll, Spider-Man has a bit more to live up to. I'll save my comments for when I get to okay. Um, yes, that. 
so we're up to number 16. That's correct, yeah. Uh, my number 16 is Spider-Man Far From Home. Oh, the um, second one. So the second one. Oh, okay. Yep. Really enjoyed it, but... Um, and this, like, this says a lot about my personality, but I don't deal well with people when they are sad and when they are low and when they are not happy and loving life no. because I don't deal well with conflict. That's why you sadness. don't like it when Harry and Ron don't get on. I hate it. And when why you love Shit's Creek. I, yeah, <laughs> I hate it when um, people fight. I hate it when people are mad with each other. I hate it when. People who are supposed to be together are not together. So, yeah, um, you hate all the things that make up drama. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you've known this about me a long time. I'm surprised you don't just enjoy still photography. You're like, you know where you stand with a photograph. <laughs> nothing ever changes. Nothing. Um, I, it's like, I need to know that everything is going to be all right. Well, everything's going to be all right. Yeah, but... Spider-Man Far From Home, as much as it's a great film, he's grieving. He is grieving Tony Stark. He gets outed at the end of the film. He gets unmasked. Um, and there is so much uncertainty. And it just left me with a, oh, God, it's like Goblet of Fire. This is no good. And also, it came right after um, Endgame as well. Yeah. So it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah I can see that. Okay. So, I mean, that is... That is nothing to do with the film. That is purely my sensibility. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. Um, okay, so um, that was your number... 16. 16. Okay, my number 16 is Thor Ragnarok. Right, okay. Um, I really like this film, but in many ways, and again, this is probably why, and it's probably one of my more controversial choices, um, it's very similar in, to the Guardians of the Galaxy films for me in the way that um, I think it's a little bit overrated. And I also, I'm not a huge fan of the aesthetic. Right. It also feels very green screen. Um, like there's not a lot of, um, it's a weirdly kind of airless film. Um, and But the things in it that work, work incredibly well. Um, like uh, the, the whole, um, the the... You can hear Taika, Taika Waititi's voice in the film, obviously, a lot. Literally. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> and, yeah. And that makes it obviously very funny. I think that... Um, I don't think that um, Chris Hemsworth has ever been better than he is in this film. Mm. Um, and I really like what they do with the Hulk in this film. The fact that he's becoming more intelligent. Mm. Yeah. And that kind of competitive relationship that they've got. Yeah. Um, and I really enjoy all of that elements. I like Jeff Goldblum in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, I like, I admire the daring of this film, the fact that they were willing to... Because I think that people felt that Thor The Dark World was a bit a bit of a failure. Like, mm. it did okay at the box office, but yeah. didn't sell it. And the first Thor film did okay, but didn't do brilliantly. So I think that they felt like they could take a chance. They were like, well, we've kind of got nothing to lose. If this one doesn't do well, then we'll just have Thor crop up in a couple more Avengers films, and then he's gone. Yeah. And I think that this film... The the best thing I can say about this film is that they took that Taika Waititi took a real fucking swing, mm. you know, and I think that that really pays off. But I feel that like the Guardians of the Galaxy film for me, it goes just that little bit too far into the comedic at the expense of everything else to the point where I didn't really feel any gravity or stakes, and also on a purely artistic level, 
it's got that kind of neon aesthetic that the Guardians of the Galaxy films have that I just am not a huge fan of, but I still fucking loved it, and I get why people like this film, and I'd watch it right now, like any of these things. Okay, so Hannah, what is your number 15? My number 15 is Thor, number one. Okay. Numero uno. I loved it. I really loved it. I... I think the things that probably knock it slightly down for me is um, I I didn't feel the gravitas in Thor and the Natalie Portman characters' romance mm-hmm. the same way that you feel it with Captain America and, and Peggy. Peggy. Um, I think I can't remember if it was said on this podcast or if I've heard it, you talking to Paul about it on Chinstroker versus Punter, but the difference is like Captain America and Peggy are romancing mm. and Thor and his bird. They just want to fuck. They just want to fuck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that sort of comes across in some yeah. ways. Um, it's a really fun film, yeah. and it's it's <clears throat> it was much better than I had initially thought it would be, um, knowing that it was about, like, I, I really love all the stuff about gods, and, like, I did classical studies at school, so um, Greek and Roman mythology, uh, like, huge on my um, list of loves. Mm. Um, so Norse gods, yep, let's, I'm I'm for it, let's yeah. go. Um, so it appealed to me in that sense, but that, that should have been on the poster. What the, the review quote? Norse gods, I'm full of it. Good, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but as as much as I like all of that kind of mythology and sensibility, I did worry that Kenneth Brenner wasn't going to pull it off. Basically, mm. um, but he did a great job. Always pulls it off. (laughs) Usually with a Russian accent. (laughs) Did he come across it? (laughs) Stop it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I thought he did a great job. And Chris Hemsworth is fantastic as Thor. What a find. What a find he was. He is. But like, it's almost like he was born to play Thor and nothing else. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of him. I I don't like him in anything else I've seen him in. I mean, apart from Parks and Rec, I'm a bit like that with Chris Pratt as well. I think that they're actors who they've got a very specific thing that they can do. Yeah. Um, But Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, cool. Okay, so um, that was your number 15. 15, yeah. My number 15 is Ant-Man and the Wasp. Oh, okay. um, the sequel to um, Ant-Man um, I really like this film um, I think that this is just uh, I mean there's just it's not right in the middle um, but because I mean there's 23 films and this is number um, 15 but I would say that this is to me the very different definition of mid-tier MCU in the way that it it's doing a lot of stuff we've seen before mm-hmm. in the other films it's not changing the world, but it's just doing it really well. It feels like a kind of like a factory that mm-hmm. are just have really got their prototyping down yep. and they're pumping out these products. And I know it sounds cynical, I don't mean it to sound like that, but I just think that, um, you know, it's the second of the films. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's as good as the first. The only reason I've got the first higher is that it was the first. Right. Um, so that gives it a little bit more. But this is a really enjoyable one. And this is definitely one of those ones that I think that every time we do a rewatch, 
it will put a smile on my face. Yeah. And um, I just think that it's it's what MCU do really well. It feels effortless in the best possible sense. Yeah. And um, yeah, I really enjoy it. Um, so your number, where are we? 14. My number 14 is The Avengers. The first one? Yep. Oh, okay. <clears throat> um, I love this film. And the first, like, pulling back the curtain, I hadn't seen any of the, any of phase one before you and I moved in together. Um, and... Hannah had a life before we met. <laughs> but I, I I put her in a uh, a scarlet witch-coloured burqa, locked her in a room and forced her to... <laughs> must watch all of this. Yeah, so, so, um, so we moved in together at, the, at Christmas 2011. Yeah, because that um, predated... Shitstorm, Shitstorm 2012. 2012. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was just around the corner, wasn't yeah. it? Um, and when did Avengers come out, the first one? Um, keep talking and I'll look it up. Okay. So basically we moved in together and then not long after that, um, the announcement was made for when the first ensemble film was going to come out. So Avengers Assemble in the UK, the Avengers everywhere else. Um, and Mike said to me, you really need to watch the the first phase of films to really get an understanding of where these characters have been. And also there's a lot of stuff that links all the films together and it would be really silly to go yeah. into the first group film having not watched the other ones. So, um, so yeah, so I... I watched, obviously I watched phase one and then I watched the first group one and I bloody loved this film. It mm. was so great and kind of solidified for me that that I wanted to continue to watch this run right to the finish, yeah. um, wherever that may be. Um, and I have nothing bad to say about it. Um, it came out in May 2012. Right, okay, so, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, um, yeah I, I don't have anything bad to say about it. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, there are just, you know, 13 other films I love. You just more. have to make some tough choices, I don't you? I did, yes. Okay, um, so what number was that again? That was number 14. Number 14, okay. Uh, my number 14 is Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. First okay. one. Uh, all the reasons you said before. I mean, it's a great fun film. And I think that what this was a really important film for Marvel because not only did it introduce the, um, the galactic stage mm. in the same way that, um, you know, um, Captain America, the first Avenger, introduced us to um, the different historical eras of, of um, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. or SS or R or whatever it was called before mm. it was S.H.I.E.L.D., um, and um, Thor introduced us to the you know the um, the, the other un- the other universes. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy was really important in not only showing us the wider universe, the wider wider galaxy mm. of of Marvel, taking it into space, but also it was the first MCU film that had no brand recognition whatsoever. Yeah, we, and we talk about how like. Um, Iron Man and uh, Thor were B-level. 
Guardians of the Galaxy was Z level. So what this said was that Marvel could make successful films that, that large audiences liked without any brand recognition whatsoever. Um, they could like turn shit to gold, you know? Yeah. I mean, this film has got a fucking talking raccoon, you know? And they made it work. And I think a it's lot of that... It's got the best soundtrack ever uh, yeah, as well. And I think a lot of that has to go with the choices of filmmakers that Kevin Feige picks. Mm. doesn't always work. You get people like Edgar Wright who, who, who make sense, but for whatever reason can't interface and it falls apart, you know, whatever. But with James Gunn, I mean, this is a guy who made trauma movies mm. for, um, you know, I mean, he made like low budget schlocky and how you could see in that guy being able to do but that. Don't you think that, I mean, this, this might be oversimplifying things and also like alienating a lot of people, but don't you think it's almost like having that real, um, grassroots type um, education that you get the real uber geeky obsessed about something yeah. kind of directors what, what, that will what, really go deep what you get is you get filmmakers with tremendous agility who I just can feel deal like, with like how did Quentin Tarantino start because it feels very like that of the same... Well, Tarantino went knocking on doors, basically. To, to I just feel like they're from the same stable. Yes. Yeah. 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 And, and, but I think that a big part of it is that what... More, more so than anything, forget being storytellers or producers, Marvel Studios ultimately are incredible talent scouts. Yeah. You know, they see Andy Dwyer as a muscular action hero. Yeah. You know, that they can go, well, you've got something in you that is intrinsic to this character. We'll fix all this, all this. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, <laughs> and there's an element of that, you know? Um, and I think that getting people like James Gunn who have those singular um, visions, um, and it, like I say, it doesn't always work. You get some people who don't fit in. I know that I think Patty Jenkins was going to do a film with them and sh- that didn't work out, you know? Um, but Patty Jenkins? Um, she directed the uh, Wonder Woman for DC. She was, right. I think she was going to do Thor The Dark World and she walked off and was just like, I can't deal with all the rules and all that kind of stuff. So I think there is a sort of, you know, a bit of a dance that you've got to do. Mm. Um, and we see people like Edgar Wright where it, it, it doesn't work. Um, and Joe Cornish. But, but I just think that, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I just think that, like, you know, being able to think, being able to have the savvy to say, you know, Kenneth Branagh should direct Thor mm. because Thor ultimately is Shakespeare. Mm. We'll get the second unit people to worry about the special effects. What we need is somebody who can make Tom Hiddleston say dialogue with thee and thou in it and not look ridiculous. Mm. That's the the, the, the central goal. Yep. All this other shit we can do. We can just plug them into the machine and make it all look great, you know. Yep. And I think that that, is um, one of the things that they do really well. And, and I think that's one of the reasons why Guardians of the Galaxy is awesome. But ultimately, one of the reasons why it's not in my top three or four, which I think for a lot of people it would be, and God love you, um, it is simply that um, I don't connect with the films and I feel that the and a lot of that is to do with the aesthetics. It's I, very, very, they're very digital. I'm very interested to see how our top four um, 
reflects. Hmm. Yes, I, I'm also very curious. Okay, so okay. Um, we will now move on to uh, Hannah's number 13. Number 13, my favourite number. Um, Doctor Strange, oh. for me. I love this film. Benedict Cumberbatch is excellent. Mm-hmm. I love the lightness of touch in the odd ways that they do it, like when he gets the piece of paper with the the Wi-Fi code and he thinks it's some kind of mantra, he's yeah. got to say. Um, I love Tilda Swinton. She's yeah. amazing. Um, She's one of those like paint-drying actors. I'll just watch her, just sitting there. Who's the guy... Um, Oh my god, I can't think of his name. He was in Fifteen Stories High. That's the first thing. Benedict I've, Wong. Benedict Wong. So I'm that, the first thing I ever saw him in was Fifteen Stories. This High. This is the only thing I've ever seen him in. So what? Well, this Avengers. Okay, so Fifteen Stories High is a BBC comedy. Yeah. Um, that is, um, I I bought the DVDs for Paul for his birthday mm-hmm. one year. Uh, it's him living with Sean it is Sean Locke so 15 stories high is a comedy with uh Benedict Wong living in a flat a, is he like a, Benedict Wong yeah in a in a council high-rise flat with a guy played by Sean Locke um and it's it's very um it's the type of, like, it's the same type of comedy as the UK office. Like, it's very low-key. Not cringy as such. Like, you do actually proper laugh. Mm. Um, like it's the verite. Yeah, of. there's things like, um, in the first episode, Benedict Wong moves into the flat with Sean Locke and on a trial basis. Um, and Sean Locke, he's really particular, and he's decided he doesn't want him to live there because he wants, like... Um, Benedict Wong's character wants the TV to be slightly brighter because he can't see the picture and he's like, oh, I can't deal with this. You you want to sit on my sofa and you want to change my TV. I'm and blah, with Sean Locke on this one so um, far. But uh, he ends up letting him stay as long as Benedict Wong uses his Tesco club card whenever he goes and buys oh, groceries and stuff. I, what is it about the words Tesco club card that makes me feel homesick? But like... I've uh, since then I've seen him play l- like small characters in lots and lots of things. Um, like he's he's in. Oh God, I'm going to have to look as at his eye. We're really going down the Benedict Wong tunnel here, aren't we? Yeah, I'm. I'm sorry, I am, but I I really rate him. I think he's fantastic, and he's got. Oh, the Martian. He he's the guy that. Oh, he's one of the scientists, yeah, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. He, he's the engineer. So I have seen him in something else. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're right. Um, he just he plays harassed bank manager. Yeah. That kind of guy really well, um, and and that works really well in Doc in Doctor Strange because he's the librarian quote mm. marks, um, and he kind of he plays that harassed kind of. Don't give me any shit, person. There's kind of there is a subtlety to what he does. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and he he is my favourite thing yeah, about yeah, that film. Yeah. Um, I I really enjoy it as a film. I just yeah, for me it it's middle of the pack. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It's a, it's a dark horse, mm. Doctor Strange's. Um, okay, so. Um, 
What number of yours was that? 13. 13. Okay. Um, so my number 13 is Spider-Man Far From Home, the, the <laughs> second. It suddenly dawned on me the other day. I mentioned this earlier. Like, I think it was... Um, oh, no, yeah, it was when I was editing the last episode of, of um, the podcast. And I was thinking about Marvel because I was editing it and all. And I just thought, I've only seen Spider-Man Far From Home once. And then I just thought, I really want to watch Spider-Man Far From Home again. Because mm. I feel like we've watched... Um, Endgame a whole load of times, yet we've only seen the film that comes right after it and kind of ties a bow on that whole storyline once, which yeah. is kind of insane. Um, but no, I really like this film. I think there's a confidence to it. I like the fact that we get to see Spider-Man in a different environment. And I love Jake Gyllenhaal in this film as well. I thought he was really solid. I think he's one of the better villains because, spoiler alert, he's not a villain in the beginning of it. Um I really like all of the secondary characters. I can't remember the guy's name who plays um, um, Spider-Man's friend, but you've got uh, Mary Jane played by is it Zendaya or Zendaya. I can never remember how her name's pronounced. I don't know. That actress's name. Yeah. Um, but I just feel that this film is supremely confident. And also, and it's really easy to forget this about superhero films. I think particularly if you you know were a young boy growing up on these things, is... One of the great things about Spider-Man when you're a kid is the physicality of the character, mm. is the poses that he has. Because obviously in comic books, um, you everything is still life. Everything mm. is a still image. So your view of Spider-Man are all these exaggerated poses he had whilst he was sort of like, you know, paused in midair. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this film, more than any other f- film that's had Spider-Man in it, really captures the physicality of the character, which is a really important thing. And seeing that on screen kind of finally done right for a character who I've been familiar with since I can remember was tremendous. And I really, really liked it. And I think it bodes well for the post-Endgame Marvel Universe, which unfortunately has become slightly delayed. I mean, do you know that the MCU now, they've got three fully completed films ready to go why but haven't they been because released? they the cinemas aren't open and they are they're like we are not going to put these on streaming fuck that shit so you've got um um black uh, widow um there's black widow um there's uh, the eternals and there's one over i can't remember what it is but they've got they've got the stream mcu films ready to be released but they just they're just sitting on a hard drive somewhere in in california that's um, crazy but uh, but i think it does bode well and uh, yeah i really really like this film and i would say that probably um spider-man homecoming is my um sorry spider-man far from home is probably my second favorite spider-man film after sam raimi's spider-man 2 Okay. which I think is one of the great superhero films ever made, by the way. Right. Okay. Uh, my number 12 is Thor Ragnarok. Okay. Um, I liked it more than you. Um, I don't agree with your your comment that it was airless or overly comedic. Um, and I quite like the neon aesthetic in it. For me, it was a wee bit of a palate cleanser. That's fair. I think for me, though, if it it had been that aesthetic with some location shooting, Mm -hmm. I'd have been okay with it. But anyway, this is your your time on the mic, not mine. Like, I mean, I just just really like it. I I think it's a good film. Um, It was my favourite of of all the Thors. Um, And, yeah, it was great. Solid. 
And, you know, you've got Taika as well, obviously. Which is well, Taika's amazing. Always good. We love Taika. Um, yeah. My number 12 is Black Panther. Really? Uh, um, really like this film. Uh, I think it's a really beautiful film. Mine's much higher than that. Um, I, I think that... Um, Again, great. I mean, Chadwick Boseman, bloody amazing. Um, I know it's easy to be cynical and be like, well, you know, he's passed away now, so of course you want to say that. But no, I mean, again, he, he was, was a just real, really great yeah, in the yeah, role. Yeah. yeah, and he was a, he was a movie star as well. Yeah. He was somebody who could do nothing. Yeah, and you'd still watch him. No, absolutely. Uh, and I mean, I mean, he he. I mean, um, fuck. I mean, I mean, Michael B. Jordan is the villain, and he's no slouch in the charisma department as no. well. And the fact that that Chadwick Boseman can command the screen and your sympathy when he's on screen with Michael B. Jordan is, mm. you know, that's that's worth commentary, you know? Yeah, um, sure. I like the mythology of this. I like um, the environment, the fact that, again, it opens up another world, mm-hmm. you know, the Wakanda. And, um, and I think that I can only imagine what this film must be like to either a very young black kid and also an older black movie fan to, you know, to, to be able to sort of like not have to go, well, you know, maybe under the costume Spider-Man's black, I don't know. Mm. Um, and also maybe for older viewers who have grown up being superhero fans, but having to sort of be the sidekick to actually yeah. have a film where the entire cast look like you. And this isn't, for me, this isn't about politics. It's not even about... Uh, anything more than just, um, you know, recognition. I mean, I remember seeing an interview with, uh, there was an American, um, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was, um, he was a, a um, he was an American citizen and he joined the Taliban and he got mm. caught and it was this big news story. I remember seeing on CNN an interview with him and they were like, why did, what, what led you to be radicalized? And he's like, I watched, MTV and Coca-Cola adverts and nobody looked like me mm-hmm. and what that would do to you over yeah. a re- like living in a country and just watching television and seeing all of these things that are apparently um, your world and not seeing yourself yeah you know what that would do to you psychologically and I, I think that the what this does is it gives you another sensibility obviously what what Marvel did was that they made the correct decision um, to make sure that as many people behind the camera as well mm. were um, African American, yeah. And what that does is gives you another perspective. In the same way that if you got a um, a deaf filmmaker to make mm. a film, they're going to have a different worldview experience, and they're going to bring different things. Yeah. Yeah. In the same way that if you got a really old person to direct a film, mm. they're going to bring something different. Yeah. So, um, and I think that, that Black Panther is just a really fucking entertaining film. I think it's got a great cast. I think it feels really confident. It doesn't feel like it's pandering. I mean, imagine if there had been a hand-on-heart, earnest, speechifying moment, how that film would have just gone... Yeah. Like fucking immediately, yeah, and how sure. bad that would have felt. Yeah, and it doesn't. It doesn't no. need to because it's just there. And um, you know, it's not like all of the. Um, this film doesn't hate white people, or does you know? There's no. It's just that's the world that the characters live in, and that's their reality. Yeah, and I really like. It. I think it's got one of the better villains. 
Yes, um, you kind of understand his perspective a little bit, and well, he's that's, actually that's what makes him dangerous is that you can totally see why he's doing it. Well, they cast an actor in the role of the villain who could probably have played the lead. Absolutely, you know, and that's you know, that, I mean, that they're using up a really great actor in a villain, villainous role, you know. Yeah. Um, and um, the only reason it's not higher for me really is just two things. Is uh, one is there are more films that I like that I, there are other films that I like more. Mm. Um, I feel that the impact of the reveal of um, of the character is lessened slightly by the fact that he's actually introduced in another film mm. earlier, um, and I also feel that towards the end of the film it does start to descend into CG a little bit. Like the final fight sequence feels a little bit like some of the um, slight rushy, um, you know, like some of the Hobbit films, the Peter Jackson Hobbit films, like towards the end of them, you kind of feel like you're watching a cartoon a little bit. Right. I feel like the climax of Black Panther goes there a little bit. But I mean, really, that's the difference between a 9 and an 8.5. It's Mm. splitting hairs. It's still really good. Okay. Um, Okay, so moving on to your list, Hannah, what is your number 11? Number 11 for me would be Iron Man. Iron Man? Iron Man. Not Iron Brew. Iron Man. Okay. I loved this film when I saw it. It was the first, uh, well, it was my introduction to all things MCU. Mm -hmm. Um, I had never read one of the comics before. I'd seen, obviously seen the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films before. Other than that... No idea. No idea about Iron Man. No idea about his backstory. Most, I would say that's anything. A, most of the audience, yeah. probably. Um, I found it to be solid, funny, engaging, interesting, wanting to get more out of it. It was, yeah, everything a film should be. Um, so for me, it was it was wonderful. Yeah, and you yeah. got Danny Jr. in there, just yeah. rem- reminding everybody why we liked him in the first place, you know. Exactly. Uh, tell them yeah. about um, Okay, so that was uh, your number 11? Yep. Uh, my number 11 is Doctor Strange. Um, so yes. higher than you there. Um, I like this film for all the reasons that you mentioned. I think um, Benedict Cumberbatch was just fucking born to play this role. Yeah. He must have, like, his interview must for this film must have just been him sitting there going, bitch, please. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just give me the fucking cloak, all right? Yeah, I love it. And also, I, I, one of the things I love about this film is that it's got a good climax, yeah, you know when they, you've got all of that psychedelic shit. Now you see that's when I don't mind CG because when they go into the different realms and they're doing all of this astral projection and shit like yeah. that, you have to do that as CG, and I'll accept that as CG because it's CG in a kind of back projection at a Grateful Dead concert kind of way. Yeah, and I like all of the kind of. Um, Christopher Nolan-esque sort of Inception-esque stuff that they do with all the buildings moving. It's as though they went, okay, we like what you did in Inception, Christopher Nolan. That was visually exciting. We're now going to put it in a film that has entertainment <laughs> in it. You know, and, and that's, I think, what Marvel do is that they're like, yeah, okay, we like that. We'll use that. Yeah. We'll take that. And, um, and I just think it hangs together really well. Um, my, one of my only criticisms of the film... And again, this could be held up as being a positive thing. And you could just say that this is part part of the whole point is that um, it is another retread of the MCU hero's journey, which is the douchebag learns to not be a douchebag. Right. You know, so but it does I think, feel... I think that can be said about 
superhero films in general. He can, but I mean, we've, I mean, I was talking to Paul about this on, on Shinsuroka versus Punter, but the Hero's Quest has changed. The Hero's Quest used to be the Frodo Baggins, um, Luke Skywalker Hero's Quest of, you know, somebody who lives in the middle of nowhere who craves adventure mm. meets a elderly wizard who had adventures in his youth and goes off to kind of fight a dark lord, mm. um, but has to... Um, give up the comforts of the village or mm. Tatooine or the Shire or whatever, um, and then becomes the master himself. Um, for the longest time, that was the the archetypal hero storyline. What Marvel have done is they've introduced a new narrative, which is basically learning to put aside your vanity mm. in order to do a selfless thing for other people, which is a much more modern post-social media um, you know, just come off Instagram and go and look at trees kind of message. Yeah. And I think that that perhaps was already, had already been used a few times, but kind of needed to be because, again, the, the, there is the source material of the comics that does that. But aside from that, I really like this. And I think this was one of the films, uh, along with, I think, is it my, yeah, along with my next one, which are the ones that I was surprised how much more I enjoyed them the second time. When uh, once I remove them from just because the thing is when you see these films, particularly the recent ones, they've got a weight of expectation. You're like, yeah. this is the new MCU film. This has to be amazing, mm. um, and they're not all designed to be amazing. You know, yeah. Iron Man three was designed to just be a fun romp after this giant film, and when you watch them back to back, you can kind of just enjoy them for what they are, not for what you want them to be. Yeah. And I think Doctor Strange is one of those ones that benefits from that like quite a lot. Um, okay, so um, what's your number 10? Oh, top 10. Top 10, Hannah. Top 10. Oh my God. I'm so hard now, right now. <laughs> the next two for me, I have flip-flopped back and forth and back and forth, even while we've been talking, putting it number 10, number 9, number 10, number 9. Um, and... Ultimately, I've just put my foot down of what ones, like, I've, I've literally gone for enjoyment, personally, yeah. personal, your personal your enjoyment. Okay. So I'm not talking on any kind of critical level. This is my enjoyment, okay? Mm-hmm. So don't shoot me. Um, so number 10 for me is the first Captain America. Ah, Captain America, the first Avenger. The first Avenger. Um... I love this film and the setup of the romance with Cap and Peggy mm-hmm. is fantastic. Um, I think the effects are amazing. Um, I mean, te- technology wise, it, it was just groundbreaking yeah. in what they did. A fantastic story and, and certainly not a character that I would necessarily identify with or connect with in so easy to get it wrong um yeah so i think a lot of props have to be given to chris evans because he has done just the most fantastic job of walking that fine line between america fuck yeah Yeah. and you know being the apple pie he'd already had a failed superhero franchise at that point i mean he'd been in that fantastic four film I, uh, I haven't seen that, so I don't know if that's it's, it's attributed. Quite, it's to, actually quite a fun film, but yeah. it's the fact that he, when he was announced, people were like, "Oh God, that guy, the guy from fucking Fantastic Four. Right. But clearly, they saw something that no yeah, one else did. Again, talent scouts. Yeah, I I just loved the first Captain America. 
I think the first Captain America is the film that made me um, really think, okay, I'm all in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I suppose if you look at phase one as kind of MCU season one, yeah. that was the episode where you're like, all right, Mike, put on the next one. <laughs> yeah, totally. And when we eventually get around to watching Farscape, episode six of season one, that's going to be the one. I know it. This is my first fucking rodeo, Hannah. Um, okay, my number 10 is Ant-Man. Okay. I mean, a huge part of that clearly is down to Paul Rudd. If ever there was an actor who should be in an MCU, I mean, it was a no-brain. I remember when I heard, I mean, I'd never read any Ant-Man. I knew broadly who the character was. But I remember like going on to Any Cool News or Dark Horizons or one of these geek sites, and they were like, Paul Rudd's starring in a new MCU film. I'm like, of course he is. <laughs> you know, I mean, that makes absolutely... The never-aging man. There was, I'm trying to remember who it was. There was another actor recently who was just announced as being in an MCU film. And that was another one of those. Another, of course he is. That makes complete sense. Ever since I've uh, seen him in Clueless, that man can play any character. Yeah. And I am well up for it. Well, the thing that somebody pointed out the other day that really scared me was he's now the same age that Wilford Brimley was when he starred in Cocoon. You know, the old man in Cocoon. <laughs> yeah. It's the same age as Paul Rudd. Yeah. I'll tell you what. He fi- does not age. 52 does not mean the same as 52 meant in 1985. <laughs> I'll tell you. Um, but, uh, yeah, cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, the Yeah, so, um, yeah, I, I, I just think it's a really fun film. Um, I think that it's got some of the best de-aging I've seen in yeah. a film as well. The stuff with Michael Douglas Michael is real Douglas, uncanny yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, and I just think that it, it really is, it feels like a celebration of the tone of the Marvel Universe. Mm. Yeah. And I also like the fact that this film was was kind of emblematic of the burgeoning a nice core scene that you see mm. with like a, it was around the time that like Parks and Recreation was on the um, which Paul, Paul Rudd was in as well and it was the fact that like you know like the cop who's trying to trying to catch him doesn't have any particular malice he's just doing his job his ex-partner's new partner yeah, likes no, them as well yeah there's no like oh you cheated on me or yeah. like there's nothing like I mean like you've got that. the villain villain like the kind of the one who turns people into goo and you know yeah, sort of like but there's there's no like I fucking hate you because yeah. you've got my wife and I'm going to try and win her back. And yeah. that's not the point of yeah, yeah. the story. It's, it's not, there's, there's, it's, there's no kind I love of like, that. sort of like meanness of, of spirit in the film. Yeah. And, and I just think that like top to bottom, the cast is great. Yeah. Um, and the, um, who's the guy that does all the fast talking? Oh, um, oh gosh. Hang on. I have to bring it up. Oh, oh Michael Payne. I, Love that guy. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I, I, I also like the fact that Paul Rudd in this film is—he's kind of the audience. He's kind of like, yeah, like he wants to be an event. Like he goes to Avenger Tower uh, and he finds Hawkeye, and Hawkeye's kind of like, yeah, you know, they're all out, you know, <laughs> at the moment. Like, is it Hawkeye? Not Hawkeye, or, sorry, no, uh, Falcon. Falcon, um, yeah. And you know, so he's kind of like you know the schlubby kind of one. Like he's the. He's the first superhero in the MCU that comes up in a world that knows about superheroes, where superheroes yeah. are already a thing. And he's kind of like, oh, I'm a superhero now. I guess I guess I need to um, 
you know, like he calls Pepper Captain cool name and like he calls Captain America Cap, Cap. and like, see, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. and and I just think that and the, gets the piss taken out of him, yeah. But that's like the second film, uh, and I think that one of the things that was wonderful we talked about this when we were reviewing season one of Agents of Shield mm. is that one of the great things about reading Marvel comics is that collegial kind of clubhouse mentality where Stan Lee talks to you, you know, in the speech bubbles who were like Stan here, and he'll he'll, t- yeah. he'll he talks to the reader, yeah, and what that creates is a feeling of almost kind of like pluckiness yeah. to the universe. And also, they do fun things with the, the size thing. You know, the fact that, that you, you've got like a gigantic CGI Thomas the Tank Engine and yeah. all of those oh, elements. I love that when they, like, when they have the, the gigantic Thomas the Tank Engine and then the camera pans out to actual size and you get this like, pft, yeah. pft. You yeah, know, how like absurdly tight, yeah. small it is. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. There'll be a gigantic Michael Bayes car crash, yeah. but then you'll go back to like the point of view of like a normal person, <laughs> and it's just like a little dinky car kind of yeah. rolling over. It's yeah. like, um, and I just think that that balance of kind of um, um, of humour and drama works really that. well. But at the same awesome. time, you know, you have got these real world concerns. You've got the fact that this is a guy who, and we've talked about this in agents in um, on the Agents of Shield, how much this idea of family is key in the MCU. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a guy who, you know, he's kind of a deadbeat dad. And not for any fault of his own, but life has not been easy for him. No. Um, and the drama of the film is, is, is he going to not be able to see his daughter anymore? Yeah. And all of the other stuff is just... Is he going to fuck it up again, it's, basically? It's a bit, I mean, both the Ant-Man films are essentially beat-the-clock films. Mm. Yeah. Um, and... It, when you do that with a, a likable cast and a witty script, mm. um, that's going to be a good one. And I just think that I, when I, whenever I do a list, like a top 10 or 20, or in this case, top 23, I like to curate a little bit. And sometimes I'll pick things, not to be provocative, but just to kind of make a point. And one of the reasons why I wanted Ant-Man in the top 10 is that it doesn't always have to be this gigantic apocalyptic catastrophe catastrophic thing um sometimes it can just be a really small fun rompy adventure and i just think that films like ant-man do that better Mm. than any other franchise or hollywood series do i have a lot more to say about that when it comes oh, to... Oh, so you haven't even um, got to Ant-Man yet. Okay, that's interesting. I haven't got to either of the Ant-Mans yet. <clears throat> you haven't got to the Ant-Men. Okay, so Hannah, what be your number nine? Ant-Man. Ah. <laughs> um, so... Are the the New York Ant-Men or the Detroit Ant-Men? Well, I think if... Um, oh, it's the San Francisco e- Ant-Men, isn't it? Eagle-eyed listeners might have noticed that I have ranked that lower than the sequel. Um, oh, have you not covered the sequel yet? No. Well, no, it looks not. like we got ourselves an no, ant lover. No, not. Um, I love Ant Man, and I think those films were the biggest surprise for me. How much I loved them. It makes such sense considering what you said earlier about how you don't like conflict and all this kind of stuff. Because mm. you know, by that logic, you're very emotionally <laughs> yeah. consistent here. Yeah. Um, so I loved Ant-Man um, and for all the reasons that you said. And I thought, um, oh, God, Evangeline Lilly yeah. um, was fantastic mm. in her role 
I thought Michael Douglas was amazing. I like I, I like Michael Douglas in everything yeah. I see him in. Michael Douglas, he's really he's good, isn't he? He's just a fucking good actor. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think he gets poo-pooed a little bit. Like, Well, he plays a lot of dislikable characters. Yeah. And I think people think that's him. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just... He's just really yeah, fucking yeah, good at yeah. what he does. He is. He's a movie star. There's there's a reason he's been around as long as he has. Yeah, I mean he he has had hits in a lot of decades. Yes, he has. Um, yes. So number nine for me was Ant Man, and I went back and forth and back and forth with Captain America and Ant Man at that ten and nine yeah. spot. But for me, Ant Man just slightly put the yeah. post. And, and I want to I want to sort of reiterate the this is a good time to reiterate the the how the, the sort of the fluidity of these lists as yeah. well is the fact that I, I mean I, I mean feel, I have changed mine as we've been I mean, speaking. I mean the Guardians of the Galaxy films are a really good example of that is that I feel like maybe there will come a day where I'm going to sit down and watch those films and I'm going to be in the right frame of mind and I'm going to be like I get it. I see yeah. what people you know yeah. um so and, and I think a lot of it because a lot of my a lot of my issues with a lot of these films is aesthetic, mm. and that changes because sometimes when you look back at something fifteen years later, the aesthetics of it they can take on a nostalgia. Yeah, they can. All of these things can change. And uh, but uh, but yeah, okay. So sorry. So what what's number your was that? number nine? My number nine is um, Thor. Oh, right. Okay. Um, I really like the first Thor film. I think it works mm. incredibly well. And I feel that it's probably the most underrated. I think the thing about the, a lot of the Phase 1 films is that they've been overshadowed by the grandiosity and the increased confidence um, and just the sheer number and volume of films that have come after them. Mm. But I think that all films have to be viewed within the context of when they came out. Yeah. And I think that really the first Thor film is kind of a minor miracle. I mean, think about it. Okay, first of all, I mean, I've mentioned the whole, the whole idea of Kenneth Branagh mm-hmm. um, r- directing it. And I think that what you mentioned earlier, as far as your areas where you feel that the film didn't work, I agree. Um, I think that the romantic plot doesn't work that well, but I don't think it's hugely important to the film, so it doesn't kind of doesn't matter. It's more just the yeah, fact that it doesn't you know, hang its head. It's like on she's it. just there to be kind of in the film in the same way that like um, you know Karen Allen is in Raiders of the Lost Ark. You yeah. know, it's just that's just the thing. Mm. Um, but what for me does work in the film is. All of the um, stuff that happens in Asgard, mm-hmm. I think, is very well yep. done, yep. and that's where. And I think a lot of the stuff with because uh, people talk about, um, wow, you know, Branner discovered and cast um, the, um, Chris Hemsworth, but you, what you've also got to remember is he also discovered and cast Tom Hiddleston, mm. who would go on to be tremendously important. And I think that all, the relationship between Thor and Loki in this film. Is so good and he's so oh, well played. Gotcha. And when you and it's the bit that you kind of forget because when most people when they think of Thor, they think of all the stuff in the kind of desert near the end. Yeah. You know, him going up against the robot, him in the town, all the fish out of water. A huge portion of the film is the sort of familial um mythological stuff between Anthony Hopkins, aka future Santa, as he looks like in the middle, <laughs> um Loki and Thor, that that kind of like a Freudian, Oedipal yeah. kind of battle. 
and so much of that is really well played. So much of the 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 disappointment and bitterness of Loki and how he just feels kind of fairly that he has been treated badly and all that stuff between the three of them, the father and the two sons, I honestly think is some of the best stuff in all of the MCU. Mm. But it kind of gets forgotten by a lot of the kind of fun stuff with Coulson yeah. and S.H.I.E.L.D. and all that kind of stuff because that's the stuff that connects to the later films. Yeah. Um, obviously, I think the casting of um, Hemsworth is, is amazing. He's great in the role. Um, and... I think aesthetically the film works really well. I think it's one of the funniest, like just flat out funniest yeah. of all of the films. <laughs> and I think it was the point. I think where... the chick from um, oh that terrible two song. broke girls, two broke girls, yeah, yeah, Cat yeah. Dennings, Cat Dennings, yeah, yeah, she's great, yeah, yeah. It's it's just because what Marvel realised was, and this seems so obvious. And the moment where this occurred to me was, I remember seeing the tra- the first time I saw the trailer for the first Guardians of the Galaxy was the the Rosetta Stone, the kind of missing ingredient that um, all of these big franchises, you know, Star Trek, whatever, had been looking for all these years that Marvel cracked mm-hmm. was they were like, well, we've got all this stuff, like space stuff and God stuff. How are we going to make it accessible? And they were like, let's make it funny. And yeah. as soon as they made it funny, that was when my sister started watching the Marvel yeah, yeah. films. And that was when they crossed over. And I think that Thor was a really important proof of concept point in yeah. the evolution of the series where they went, we can get a little bit crazy and have gods and fucking rainbow bridges and all this shit. Um, as long as we have a good looking lead actor doing funny shit as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that has sustained them. And I just think that if you want to just kick back and throw on a really entertaining film, it's got a beginning, middle, and end that does all the stuff that the film, the Marvel films do well, and is probably actually better than you remember it being. The first Thor film is definitely one of those, and um, I think it's one of the best films in the first phase. Yeah. You know? What is your number eight? My number eight is Spider Man Homecoming. Um, this was your number 17. Okay. Um, so, obviously, I rate it way higher. You've already done the second one, haven't you? Yes, I have. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I, I rate the first one way higher than okay. the second. Um, for me, I prefer Spider-Man Homecoming to the Sam Raimi films. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, so, like, when you were talking about you know, amazing Sam Raimi films. And, like, they are amazing. Well, no, I think the second one is amazing. Well, whatever. I prefer this one. Okay. Um, And purely down to Tom Holland. Yeah. He is so good and plays it so well. Um, I think the story is fantastic. I think his characterization is fantastic. Um, I think the supporting cast is amazing. We got Danny Junior's in it yep. as well, you know, and that doesn't hurt. It's it's just so well done, and yeah. was such a surprising and pleasing surprise to the franchise. Well, it adds heart to the franchise that pays off later because in the it comes in so late in yeah. the franchise, um, and. Yeah, it was just like, yeah, fuck yeah. yeah. Like I'm down with this. This is awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well it gives um it gives Stark a son. Yeah. And he needs that. 
He really does. Yeah. yeah. So um, I am all in when yeah. it comes you to see, Spider-Man. Out of all of the differences we've had, that's the one where I think you've made the most compelling point. I'm kind of like, yeah, I think maybe I scored that one a little bit too low. <laughs> <laughs> You're winning me over. Um, okay, my number eight. Uh, and this is where things get really tricky. I'm looking at my top eight now. And, you know, yeah. already I'm thinking I could maybe swap a couple of these because I did this yesterday. <laughs> um, but I'm going to say my number eight is Captain Marvel. Part of this is nostalgia because this is... Uh, this is... It's set in the 90s. Mm. It feels like it was made in the 90s, apart from the fact that it's got special effects that you couldn't have done in the 90s. So this feels like a film... This feels like the film I wanted when I was 21, mm-hmm. but I would never have got. I mean, I Captain Marvel, the character, lands on Earth in a blockbuster video library. I was working at a blockbuster <laughs> video library in 1991, and I love yeah. superhero movies. But superhero movies were shit back then. You know, you go and watch the 1990 Captain America film. It looks like a porno with all the fucking taken out of it, you know? But this film... Has I think it works in the same way that 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 um, in some ways that Black Panther does because there's nothing about gender in this film. No. Apart from the fact that the character is female and her friends are female, and there's. But it's about the abilities of the person, not based on yes. It's, if you're a girl or a it's, boy, it's not about hey, you know, women can be strong too. It's about no fuck what people tell you. And and that's a potent... Do whatever you're good at. That's a potent yeah. message that anybody can learn from, mm. whether you're a young girl or whether you're a 50-year-old, underconfident white male, you know? Exactly. And I just think that in some ways, and I remember saying this at the time, it's a gorgeous-looking film. It's kind of... It's the anti-Guardians of the Galaxy, which is weird because it kind of crosses over with it because you've got characters from that. It's set in space and stuff. But the thing that... This is one of the few Marvel films even though it wasn't, so I don't know how they achieved this, it looks like it was shot on film. Mm. Like, for, for example, there's a, one of my favourite scenes in this film, and it's a completely quiet, nonchalant scene where, you know when she's on the farm with her old friend, she's just returned, mm-hmm. and her friend's yeah. like, fuck, I yeah. thought you were dead, and her daughter's there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're just sitting on the farm, and it's night, and they're whispering because the, the, her friend's daughter's asleep. And they're sitting there and talking. And I remember seeing this at the cinema. I went to see it with Dane. Mm. I remember you were fucking angry with me about that as I well. I was um, And it won't happen again, don't worry. Um, and they're, they're just sitting there having this conversation. I remember sitting there in the cinema watching it and thinking, this looks like a film. Mm. Like, it looked like it was lit. You could see a candle. There was flickering lighting. It was There was darkness in it. It didn't look digital. And... I was just like, oh, yay, films. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Fuck yeah. Um, and I think the Brie Larson's wonderful. A lot of people have criticised her. But I, and I don't want to be... I don't want to be Mr. Binary, Mr... Why have they uh, criticised you? you? Uh, well, there's a lot of people don't like her characterisation. And you Why? can... I, I don't know. Um, you could be cynical and say that they're misogynists. That could be part of it. Um, and she plays it very cool. But I kind of think that... If that She's was, fucking Captain Marvel. But if that was a male character, they'd be like, he's such, he's so money. He's so cool. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but I think she's great in this. Um, and it, it's really nice as well to have that. And I mentioned earlier on the whole like Shane Black thing. It's nice that we get to see um, young Coulson and young 
uh, Fury mm. um, in the 90s having an adventure that films feels like a film Samuel L. Jackson would have made in the 90s. Absolutely. You know, so it's The Long Kiss Goodnight. Yep. It's, um, it's Pulp Fiction. It's all of these things. Yep. And I think that as a love letter to the 90s, it's wonderful. But it doesn't overdo it. You haven't got characters sitting around playing Game Boys. Remember these, hey, huh? You know? Hey, I love Nirvana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's all of a soundtrack. I love those little things, like with yep. one exception... All of the songs on the soundtrack are performed by female artists. Yeah. But you don't notice it. And I just think it's a really well, wonderful it's film. It's like the- Black Panther in that way. Like it's it's just it's how it is. It's it's not out to be a feminist film, but it's a film about females. How many films have we seen where all of the characters are white? Yeah. And they're not white power films, no, exactly. <laughs> and you know, but I just think I, th- I think the thing that, diversity. the thing that works for me with Captain Marvel is I love where it fell because it came between Infinity War and Endgame, so it had to be a period movie, otherwise it would have to have dealt with all of yeah. this shit. Yeah. So they were like, so it was a strategic point. But the other benefit of that was it meant. It could kind of just do its own thing. Mm. Like, there are elements of the universe. You've got characters from Guardians of the Galaxy turning up in it because she's out there in space and mm. there's the Kree and all that kind of yeah. stuff. I really liked, I can't remember his name, the Australian actor who plays the guy who you think's the villain but actually isn't the villain. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, uh, I know him from um, the country practice. Yeah, he was in Rogue One as well, you know. And, um, and I think it's country practice. Mendo. Ben Mendelsohn. So that was your number eight? Yeah, yeah. So I just think it's a, it's a, a great-looking film. I think that it really effortlessly sets itself apart, partly because of its era. And I just think that a lot of... Some of the Marvel films really benefit from where they fit. And I think that they've tried to do that and slightly failed in the past with things like um, Iron Man 3. Mm. Um, you know, having that as the smaller film after the big films. Yeah. I think that there's been other times when they've been more successful by having like Ant-Man films after big films yeah. as a kind of like a palate cleanser. And I think that this is another one. I think that Ant-Man and the Wasp and Captain Marvel were the perfect two films to have between the two big Avengers apocalyptic films. I agree. Um, and um, I really liked it and I'm, I'm really looking forward to the sequel. And I feel that there's room for the character of Captain Marvel to become a really central figure in future phases. Where are we? Um, It'll be your number seven. Number seven for me is Ant-Man and the Wasp. Okay. Um, I know that that's higher than Ant-Man, but for me, I enjoyed it more than the first Ant-Man. And um, like you said that... Like when you talked about it, this was your number fifteen. Mm-hmm. Um, you said that it felt a bit like it was working to a template, and the first was higher for you because it was the first. Um, and you know that was your argument for having it a bit lower. Yeah. Um, for me, I I felt like it relaxed into it a bit more in the second one. Even even just the silly things like when the guys recounting the stories really fast and and they have like it cuts to each of the characters saying their bits like they're him. Oh, so it's almost like he's more confident. Yeah. in itself. Yeah, the comedic elements are far more confident. Um, they have that whole matchbox car race 
down the the San Francisco. Yeah, he feels streets. a little bit like they they saved stuff I mean, for the second film. That was really funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, he gets giant in the sea, and you know, I love the idea though that the the big the new Thanos type character is being introduced in the third Ant-Man film. Mm. The fact that that's going to be the launching platform for the big one is kind of like, it's always the ones you least expect. Although, although will that ruin it? Will that drag Ant-Man away from the nice core roots that you... Uh, <laughs> I'm just suddenly thinking, did he get giant in the sea in the first one or the second one? It was, was Civil that, War where he got giant. Yeah, but he gets giant in the first Ant-Man, doesn't he? Um, I can't remember. I, those films... Blur a little bit for me. Oh, I can't remember. Don't go to your phone. No, no, no. I'm not going to, but like, I actually can't remember that. But doesn't matter then. I prefer, I prefer the character like Lawrence Fishburne helping the girl trying. She's really she's good. I really like that actress. She's amazing. Oh, I can't remember. She was in, she was in a, um, Sci-fi series. I'm going to go to my fucking phone now. She was in a, uh, I say a sci-fi series, like the Sci-Fi Channel. Um, um, oh, fuck, I'm going to have to look this up. Sorry, we'll have to read it. She's, she is incredible. Um, and I think she's a really good bad guy. I love a bad guy when they, they aren't, like, when they're being bad for a really good reason. That, that's the nice core element. Mm. Is, and this is one of the reasons why, and a bit of a pulling the curtain back for listeners, um, I've been trying for probably two years now to convince Hannah to watch the Netflix series Cobra Kai, and Hannah is resisting. And one of the things that's lovely about that series, and I think one of the reasons why now in the age of um, of, you know, Although we're moving out of it now, the age of Trump and the age of, um, of of division and argument. One of the reasons why I think Cobra Kai has become so successful is that that's that's Cobra Kai is a nice call show mm. in the way that there's villains, but they always kind of come round. Yeah, and it, it, the show is about not going after people for vengeance, but going after them with curiosity and go, well, why are they like that? Yeah. Why is that person being like that and understanding them and bringing them in? But no, I just want to make mention because um, I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up. Of the um, the actress is um, Hannah John Kamen, mm-hmm. her name is, and she was in um, oh, that was it a sci-fi series called Killjoys, mm-hmm. um, which is a very kind of Star Trek-y, Babylon 5-y kind of thing on the Sci-Fi okay. channel. Um, she also was also in Black Mirrors, but she also, also had quite a prominent role in Ready Player One, the Steven Spielberg film. Okay. Um, and I she, think I've probably only seen her in this. But she's one of those kind of watch this space kind of yeah. actors. I can imagine in five years' time, she'll be like a Kerry Mulligan sort of... Um, yeah. You know, level actor, but uh, no, good choice. I love, I love that you love the Ant Man films, and mm. I don't think enough people go to bat for those films. So I'm glad that you are, are representing. They are some of my absolute favourites. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's some solid. So, shit what's then. your number seven? My number seven um, is Avengers: Infinity War. Okay. Yeah. You've put that below Avengers: Assemble. Well, we'll have to wait and see. Maybe I've just fucked up my list. Who knows? It's a real <laughs> nail-biter here, Hannah. Um, um, yeah, I mean, it's amazing. Okay. I just remember being blown away by this. Um, I I, ki- I was kind of spoiled for it when I mm-hmm. saw it, which I, to this day, um, 
resent. Mm. Um, but it's a great looking film. It's like all of the Avengers films, with the possible exception of Age of Ultron, because I think we both agree that's the lesser one. Um, it's just such an achievement, the fact that um, they can have all of these characters and this size of storyline and it not feel crowded. You know, I mean, I remember when, when Tim Burton made Batman Returns and it had um, the Penguin and Catwoman in it and people were like, it's too many, it's too many characters, too many villains, not enough time to spend with Batman. And yet this film's got, I mean, countless characters and countless storylines and this incredible... And it's worth mentioning now, because we haven't before, just this huge achievement of just this long game of these standalone films that were entertaining and watchable and successful in their own right. Yeah. Um, you know, without without exception. Um, but they have all kind of, you know, contributed to, you know, the sewing together of just this fucking quilt. And but but equally, equally, we've done a rewatch of just the Avengers like group films and they're still great they hold together yeah. they hold together yeah. I mean, without yeah. the individual yeah, but, but we know we have the knowledge of those films we as do well, we do but, but they do hold together but, but Infinity War is I mean it introduces Thanos um, and you know one of the great um, examples of motion capture as yeah. well you know the the, the the subtlety and humanity that you see on mm-hmm. uh, the motion capture of Josh Brolin on the CGI character is incredible. Yeah. Um, the stakes that you feel at the beginning when um, um, Thanos, um, you know, takes out like Thor's ship, he kills um, uh, Loki, he scares the Hulk off. You know, I mean, that's just how you establish your villain, and you have him land on Earth, and you've got. But even amongst all of this, you've still got great comedy beats. You've still got like you know Doctor Strange calling Tony Stark a douchebag and yeah. then riffing over ice cream flavours and all this kind of stuff. All like Harry um, Potter. Yeah, and, yeah um, <laughs> and you know, you're embarrassing me in front of the wizards. You know, um, and it reminds you how many great characters, like all this shit's going on, and then suddenly Spider-Man's in... You're like, yeah, Spider-Man's in this film as well, you know. Uh, it's the, just the joy of all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. But where it goes at the end, the darkness, the fact that, you know, all of these characters get killed off and... Um, there's an artistry to this film as well. There's some beautiful moments, like when um, you know we see the world where um, you know the, um, the 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 Red Skull is there, and um, we, we, you know ultimately um, uh, Gamora has to be killed. You know the psychedelic environment of that world is incredible, just visually, mm. um, and also um, just the fact that the the film does have a happy ending but just not a happy ending for the heroes. The final scene of the shot of the film is Thanos, you know, who believes, like all great villains, like Khan in The Wrath of Khan. He's Donald Trump. He believes he's doing... No, no, Donald Trump doesn't believe he's doing the right thing. Donald Trump just wants power and he's pretending... doesn't give a fuck. But but, but Thanos... um, Thanos has integrity. He he's doing this for a reason. Yes, that's true. That's true. And the final shot of the film is him laying down his burdens he sits down he sees he sees the sunrise he knows he's won and he smiles the film ends with him smiling and it's not creepy it's just like well done you you know it's like um uh, again i always think of the eddie Izzard thing where like she took in one of the um, stand-up bits she talks about how um like um the the great um fascists of the 1930s she's like you know um hitler she's like you know hitler killed like you know 40 million people um, you know, and there comes a point where if you kill two or three people, you're kind of like, oh, that's awful. But if you kill forty million, 
you can't even relate to that. And and with Thanos, it's the same. It's like at the end of the film, he just he he's he's happy, and it's just his mm. weird tone. And you know it's going to come back, but it, it's such a powerful film, and just such a um, a film that uh, trades on all of the stuff that's gone before. And uh, yeah, for that reason, it's in my top ten. Okay. So my number six is Captain America: Winter Soldier. Okay. Um, this is a point that um, for this podcast is extremely significant mm. because um, this is when Hydra comes out. This is when Ward turns. Yeah. <clears throat> I think we've forgotten this is a podcast we're talking on. <laughs> mm. um, this is a point where Ward turns. It's the point where you realize that you're not just seeing a monster of the week action TV series. Yeah. Um, it was so significant in so many ways because obviously we were watching the TV show and seeing the films at the same time. Yeah, they were interwoven, so, weren't they? Yeah, we were we were watching this in real time. We were we were experiencing this how Marvel intended it to be, um, and I bloody loved it. It was amazing. All the Captain America films are, I mean. I th- you can tell from my list that they're all significant to me. Um, I mean, the fact that I've still got one Captain America film don't, 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 I haven't, don't, don't I haven't mentioned yet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's for me. It was it was such a turning point in just the story arc of MCU. Yeah. There was so much going on in it. The, the performances were amazing. Um, and the fact that it tied into the TV series was just that cherry on the top. It felt like a point of sort of maturation. Yeah, uh... for sure. Okay, um, and sorry, what number is that? Six. Okay, my number six is uh, Captain America, the first Avenger. Right. Um I love this film. I'm not surprised that that was higher than mine because I know how much you love that film. I mean, to me, it's got this great kind of um, Spielbergian quality to it. Um, It's got a real shine to it. And I think it's one of the reasons that I love Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. so much is that there's there's an innocence to um, Phase 1 of Marvel. There's to the pre-Winter Soldier sort of um, MCU. Um, And... Agents of Shield kind of continues with that, even when yeah. it gets dark, that it maintains that. Um, and the thing that I like about it, I mean, there's so many things that um, I mean, Tommy Lee Jones is in this film. We forget that, you know, there's, yeah. there's, he, he yeah. brings his Tommy Lee Jonesness to it. And I just think that what they do in this film, in the same way that I mentioned earlier on, that um, it was amazing that they managed to make Thor and uh, Guardians of the Galaxy accessible to an audience. The way that they made Captain America, which could be seen as this jingoistic, patriotic thing, to me, is really emblematic of how um, Marvel Studios, how they get it. So what they do, let's look at the way that they approach the difficulties of this character. First thing is, um, he is going after Nazis. Um, um, So how? let's look at that from the perspective of a German audience. What Cap says is, they're like, do you want to kill Germans? And he's like, no. Do you want to kill Nazis? He's like, I just don't like bullies. Yeah. So what they do, and that's smart. 
That's them saying to the audience, look, he doesn't, he's not fighting for America. He's not against Germany. He's not, he just doesn't like bullies. Mm. He's like, I don't care where they're from. Yeah. Later on in the film, when he um, finds the, his, his core group of collaborators, Mm. um, like the, the howling commandos, they're all immigrants. There's an Irish character, there's an Italian, there's a African American. So what this does is it ties Americanism to being the land of immigrants and America as being a land built by the the labour of immigrants. Yeah. Um, you know, the skyscrapers in the New York skyline were made by immigrants. Mm. And I think that the... Well, it's like the pyramids in Egypt. Yeah, yeah. Know. And I think that the, the, the non-ironic, sincere earnestness mm. that... Um, Chris Evans brings to the role is very similar to what Christopher Reeves brought to Superman. You know, yep. it's not parody, but at the same time, it's not, it's a real tightrope mm. and it's harder than it looks and mm. he does it. Um, and I think that the, the period setting, the fact that they had the balls to make this blockbuster film set in the forties. Yeah. And that gives it a, um, an Indiana Jones vibe as well. I mean, yep. J- um, Joe Johnston, who directed this film, he was a second unit guy on all of the original Star Wars films. All of he was one of George Lucas's guys. Mm. Um, I mean, he 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 was the guy. He built the Death Star, the model yep. of the Death Star yep. in the original Star Wars film. He built like the attack walkers yep. and all that. And you feel that sensibility. And I just think that there's a kind of purity and an innocence to this film that kind of exists in its own right. And um, I just think it's one of the best films in the series. Uh, And I think that um, it makes sense that the very final moment that we see at the end of Endgame ultimately is closing out this film. Yeah. And I think yeah. that, that it's it's really important. Um, okay, so what is your... Um, gosh, we're getting there now, number aren't five? we? Your number five. My number five is Infinity War. Um, I bloody love this film yep. more than you. Um, I don't have a lot to add to it. I just... I just liked it more than you did. No, no, see, I don't think you do like it more than me. I just think that I like the films that come after it on my list more than you like those. Right. I just, for me, it was like, it propelled the story on a lot more. It it involves the majority of of the entire cast, so yeah. I really like that bit. Yeah, because they haven't all vanished yet, have yeah, they? Yeah, exactly. So they're all trying... I love um, the the um, scenes that happen in Wakanda with Cap, um, and I just I love a fight where basically they're gonna lose and they're gonna be the underdog that's gonna come up and absolutely pound them to death. For Frodo, yeah, for Frodo. <laughs> for Frodo! Um, yeah, I just it hit every beat. It's for fucking me. good, isn't it? It is so good. <laughs> yeah, and the the scene where Scarlet Witch has to like kill her her lover mm. is just heartbreaking. Yeah, I mean, heartbreaking. in any of the films, especially, that would be the main scene. But that's but, like one of a hundred. But especially the fact that she kills him, and then. Thanos brings him back and kills him again. It's yeah. like fuck you. Like let's yeah, yeah. make this the worst possible day. And then you he could doesn't even imagine. remember who she is. Yeah. In the last film, because they haven't met yet. Exactly. Yeah. Like 
Is it a wonder she's living in a fucking black and white world in Lucille Ball Is it a wonder? Is it a wonder? (laughs) Okay, um, so that was your... That's my number five. My number five is Captain America Civil War. Is it? Yeah. Wow, that really surprises me. Do you know, at one point, that was my number one. Okay. Um, I love this film. I love this film too. This was higher on my list than yours. This was the moment where I was just, it's incremental. Like I was blown away by all of phase one of Marvel. Like, wow, they're actually making an Iron Man movie. They're doing Thor. They're doing Captain America. Mm. Oh, they're crossing over. And then Avengers, it was just like nerd gas. And it was like, Oh my God, they're all there. It's incredible. (laughs) And, um, and then you had this where, You've got Spider-Man as well, and you've got Ant-Man's coming into this as well. But also, you've got really incredible visceral, visceral action sequences that mm. feel like they're at the Bourne identity, like with Cap fighting people that in close final quarters. scene with Cap and Iron Man is beyond Yeah, it's really iconic. But even earlier in the film, even like when you've got bits where they're just in these third world countries and like yeah. Cap's fighting against like these sort of guerrilla forces and they're throwing the shield around all that kind yeah. of stuff. It's got a real visceralness to it. We're introduced to Black Panther as well, you know. Like all of these castings and these first appearances, we first meet Black Panther, we first meet um, Spider- Tom Holland's Spider-Man all in this one film. And this is, quote, just a Captain America film. Mm. And... The politics, the fact that it makes you actually... um, And this film came out around the same time as Batman versus Superman, Mm. um, the DC film, which was trying to do another thing, but a similar thing. But in that film, where the reasons for the characters fighting each other felt really contrived and kind of unclear and unearned, in this film... You could see both both perspectives. Both characters made sense. And there were lots of other little nuggets in there as well, like um, General Ross from the forgotten Incredible Hulk with the Edward Norton General film. General Thunderbolt um, Ross. Thunderbolt Ross, yeah. It comes I back in. you'll find. I know, I know. Uh, it comes okay. back in. So it, it validates that film as well. So there's all this stuff going on. And I just think that also, from a sheer craft perspective, I think the quality of the special effects, the quality of the filmmaking... Um, on this is really high. Mm. Uh, it's really fucking good. Um, what's your next one, yeah. Um Number four for me was Black Panther. Okay. I fucking love this film. And for me, for all of the reasons you said earlier, it's got a really charismatic villain. Yeah. Um, Chadwick Boseman is amazing. Yeah. Um, the, the whole world is amazing. I love how it ties in to... Um, I love like because black. Does it work like Black Panther happens in Infinity War? Yes. Yeah, so it works really well because there's a lot in Infinity War that that um, first time around I thought it happened in Black Panther because they seem like one film. Yeah. Um, I just I just love it. Yeah, and I think. I love the world. I love I love the characters, and I love their just ballsy fucking bring it on. It's one of those films energy. that I feel like I haven't watched enough. Yeah, it's, I feel I, like I really want to watch. I feel it like again I, I feel like I've got like another five watches of that before I get bored of it. Yep. Kind of. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, cool. Okay, so my number four is Avengers Assemble. 
as it was Holy known in the fuck. UK. I can't believe um, it's that high. I think that this film is just a staggering achievement. When when you're a kid and you're into superheroes or Star Wars or G.I. Joe or fucking Barbie or whatever your thing is when you're a kid and whatever it is that you that accesses your imagination you get the figures and we see our son we see Philip doing this where he'll get Hulk and he'll play with this and he'll be like right I'm going to go up here and you're going to go up there and you play with these toys and you think about all these sort of things Joss Whedon when he made Avengers showed that he was really good at fucking playing with toys yeah you know and he somehow he did something that had never been done before he took all of these characters with all from all of these films and put them together in a film where they all had chemistry and they were also different you know iron man is this cynical arms dealer from a very real world and thor isn't it's a god you know and <laughs> all of these and who knows whether these actors are going to have chemistry you don't know and to construct a film and people have been trying this for decades people have been trying for decades to make star trek films where you know Uhura and Scotty have got something to do. It kind of, you know, it helps if you've seen the TV show, but it's not a problem if you haven't. And they've been trying to balance Mm -hmm. these things. This film nails it. Yeah. And it's entertaining as fuck. And it's so pure. It's like, you you need to have seen those earlier films, but it's not like Infinity War or the later ones where you need to have seen like a whole mess of films. Yeah. Um, Everybody kind of, by now kind of knows who Hulk is Mm. and who Iron Man is. So if you've got that, you could sit down and watch this film and enjoy it. Samuel L. Jackson gets to do a lot of stuff in it that's interesting. Kobe Smulders gets to... Clark Gregg gets to kind of step up a lot as well. Um, And there's so many memorable moments. But I think that the moment, the famous shot... And this has been parodied so many times now, even though this film only came out like a decade ago to the point where you watch animated shows that Philly yeah. watches yeah. and you see it parodied. But you know that moment where they're there and they step up and the camera circles around them yeah. and you've got Hawkeye's pulling his thing back yes. and they do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is one of the great modern cinema images. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is probably the preeminent, a preeminent image in all of the Marvel films. And I think that... You know, they would edge up in later films. Like, the Civil War would come out and they'd get even more characters in. Mm -hmm. um, And they'd get even more epic with Endgame. But I think that nobody could have predicted that they had done this with this film. And for that reason alone, it's that high up. So, Hannah, what is your number three? My number three is Captain America's Civil War. Okay. I love this film. I love the ending with Cap and Iron Man having their fight in the place with the thing. In silhouette. Yeah. Um, I think it's quite iconic. Um, As much as I hate discourse and I hate the fact that they're fighting with each other, you can't ignore how amazing it is. So that's why it's my number three. Solid. Um, My number three is Iron Man. Wow, okay. First film. Very different to me. Um, they, they got it right first time, as far as I'm concerned. Um, there's no fat on this. It's got a good villain. Um, I, I don't think that um, Robert Downey Jr. is ever better than he is in this film. Uh, it's got a great soundtrack. Um, and just the, the audacity of it. And I remember um, 
this really gets to the core of my whole you have to view a film within the context of when it came out this came out around the time that the um the christopher nolan dark knight films were coming out which i love but they're very serious and very dark and to see um, a superhero who kind of enjoys being a superhero and just has fun and just what a revelation robert Downey jr who you know had been for a very dark period in his career and even when he was um you know, in a good place, winning Oscars, you know, for Chaplin. Uh, yeah. He was a very dramatic actor and seeing him in something as frivolous as a superhero film made so much sense and I enjoyed it. It felt to me like this was, um, this was to the 2000s what Raiders of the Lost Art was to the 80s. This gave a whole new template to action movies and uh, started the MCU and it's still rewatchable as fuck and um, in my humble opinion... Um, the the third best of the films. And I know there are people out there who, to this day, this is still their number one mm-hmm. film in the MCU. Yeah. And uh, fucking hell, you know, fair play. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, what's your number two, Hannah? My number two is Captain Marvel. Oh, wow. I love how it champions women without championing women. Yeah. Like, it, it yeah. Um, it champions people. It does, and Including I love women. I love Brie, Brie Larson. I think the story's really solid. I love the humor around Nick Fury losing his eye. Yeah, um, how you keep thinking it's yeah. going to happen, like the like beginning yeah. of an episode of Casualty, where you're like, "Is he going to oh, fall off the ladder? Is he yeah, going to happen now?" Ah. Yeah. Um, I just loved the whole lot. I loved yeah. it. From it's really start good. To Captain Marvel is really good, and it's so solid. Like, I can't wait to show that to our daughter. Oh, God, yeah. Like, I th- I think she I will... actually feel quite emotional when I think yeah. about that, you know? Yeah, for sure. I think she will think that Captain Marvel is amazing. Yeah. I mean, she has a Captain Marvel doll um, who she thinks is I mean, amazing. I, I, I mean, I think Captain Marvel is a really inspirational figure in a very similar way to how um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer is. You know, it's not about being a woman. It's about um, not being kept in place yeah. in check yeah, for and sure. often people find themselves being kept in check because they're women or mm. because they're poor or because they're black or mm. because they have a disability or whatever yeah um and this film basically just says fuck those guys in a very entertaining way yeah yeah for sure um i loved it okay so that was your, number, your number two my number two is captain america winter soldier so yeah i mean this film is so well executed. I think that the this film has the best action. Yeah. Um, the sequences where um, the where Winter Soldier and Cap are fighting on the highway are the most. Oh god! Visceral. They, yeah. Like you amazing. really, you feel the tarmac mm. and the metal on pavement, and it's just so well done. And it, it's a turning point, like you mentioned in mm. the series. It's the maturation. It's the point where the series grew up. And whilst I have nostalgia for the the more innocent, shiny Joe Johnston kind of uh, G Wiz era of the first wave. Um, I'm happy to let that go if the films are going to be this good. I'm happy yeah. for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to be my continuation of that vibe. Yeah. If what we're going to get after this is Civil War and all of these other yeah. things that came yeah. afterwards. And I just think that one of the other things that Marvel does really well, subtly, because one of the criticisms of Marvel films is that they're all too similar. Mm. They've all got this comedic tone. They've all got this. They all kind of look the same. And I think that that's 
I get that, but it's kind of unfair because what you get is a lot of the films, they do genres. Mm. So, for example, the Ant-Man films, they kind of exist almost as like heist movies, like yeah. caper movies, yeah. you know, like Ocean's Eleven kind of vibe. Yeah, for sure. Whereas... Captain America Winter Soldier feels like a 70s, 1970s kind of espionage movie, like a... Um, it feels day- like a Dirty Harry to me. Well, it's, yeah, it's got a kind of like like Day of the Jackal or one of those kind of... Or maybe um, a French Connection. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's got that kind of vibe to it. MCU realised that, okay, what we can do is we can say, okay, this one's going to be our spy movie. This one's going to be our romantic comedy. Yeah. You know, this one's... So I think it was important in that regard. But I just think that pound for pound, the films are rarely better. Like, you can drop somebody down at any point in this film and there's great moments. Mm. And it's not showy. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it's just very fucking solid. And uh, it's my number two. Let's talk about our number one because I have noticed that your number one is my number one, okay. which is Avengers Endgame. Yes, um, oh my God, just the best film. Um, you and I went to see this at the Petoni Lighthouse Cinema, um, which and has I, which has couches. I, it's I, amazing. I, I don't think I even realised how good it was when we first watched it. Mm. I think it literally, it took a couple of viewings because it's so, there's so much, it's a three hour film Mm. and there's so much in it. I think it took me a couple of viewings to absorb it. My, like, I'm very well known at loving endings. So I, I always knew that I was probably predisposed to like the end film for the MCU. Um, but just, it could have been a wet noodle. Yeah, you know. just just as I, I always tend to prefer the endings of TV series and stuff. But but I don't like them just because they're the end. Like, yeah. I, I would never... They have to be satisfied. I would never just like something just because it's the end. If yeah. it's shit, it's shit. Yeah. I, and I will say it. And that shittiness is magnified if it's the end. Yeah, because it has for that. sure. Um but when it comes to Endgame, I just, oh my God, it was so good. It it had so much payoff and so much emotion. Um, Black Widow's character, like, she just, oh God, it's going to make me cry. Yeah. Terrible. By, by the end of Endgame, I was ugly crying. It feels I? like, we always talk when it comes to these geek franchises about being rewarded for paying attention. Mm. And this film feels like fan service in the best possible sense. Fan service is often used as a derogatory term. With this film, it's the ultimate compliment because this film feels to me like the ultimate victory lap. Because... If you look back, if you go back to the first Avengers film and what an achievement that was, um, what Endgame says is we've done it again, you know, and we've we've built on that. And it just feels that not only are you being rewarded for watching it, you're also given a great film. And to me, it feels like the movie equivalent of All Good Things, the final ever episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Mm. And the reason I mention that is that that episode of Star Trek 
it's not only a great way to end the show, it's also a great fucking episode of Star Trek. And Endgame is not only a wonderful end to this era of um, the story of Tony Stark and Steve Rogers, primarily. Mm. It's also a great film in its own right. And I love how... I love how you have Cumberbatch shaking that finger up yeah. in the air like this is the one time yeah. that it's going to work. Like there are so many significant moments like that just a look or a, an eyebrow twitch or something C- signifies so much. C- cinema was designed to be theatre for the masses. Theatre was this thing that a lot of people couldn't afford to go to. A lot of the time it was just really highbrow, too highbrow for the people who wanted the entertainment. So cinema was invented to be this collective experience that people could go to. And we, over this, the course of cinema, from the first film where we see, you see the train coming down the track and audiences running out of the cinema because they think the train's going to come out the screen, mm. to 3D, to the opening shot of Star Wars when you've got that Star Destroyer going over you, to... Jaws making people scared to go in the um, in the water to Psycho making people scared to go in the shower. I put the moment in Endgame when all of those portals start to appear as one of those. Yeah, it's a it's a generational defining moment for sure. And if you have followed these films, when you get to that point, that is one of those great sort of transcendent moments that you get if you have allowed yourself to be submerged in universe if you're so into Tolkien that you've learned elvish or you've watched every episode of star trek so when it's revealed that it's actually the borg that has meaning yeah um that's that's important to audiences you know and i think for me that's kind of where they stick the landing and that's Mm. the thing so many of these things get everything right until the end and then they just fuck it yeah at the end um, but this one doesn't. And the other thing as well is it's one of those films where um, I'll be watching it and I'll be like, oh, it's this bit now. And oh, it's this bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's this bit. The uh, the only bit that... Oh, actually, Don't I might... you be I, shitting on my Endgame. No, I might be mixing up Infinity War and Endgame here. But and what's the bit? What's, which is the one where... Um, Say it. Where Thor goes with Rocket to that place and Peter Dinklage is there and they make the new... That's the end game. That's the end game. That's the only bit of the film where I feel like it slows oh, a little bit. Oh, no, that's I felt good. like that sequence maybe he could have lost... He needs that. He needs it. That's him getting his mojo back. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy when you think about it because you've got... Like, the sequence in the film where they go back and they revisit bits from... I mean, that's like a 20-minute bit in the middle uh, of the actually, film. Actually, no, that's... Sorry, I'm completely wrong. That's Infinity War. Is it? Yes. Yeah, it is, because he rocks yeah, up at the end. Yeah, because he comes okay, back okay, and yeah, he's yeah, yeah. all, like, fucking... Yeah, yeah. So, so in Endgame, you've got that sequence where they do the time travel bit where they go and they kind of visit bits from the other films. Any other franchise, that would have been the film. They would have been mm. like, let's just do that. But in this, it's like, well, okay, that's a bit... Mm. And then we've got all of this other stuff. Um, and also just the fact that the film ends on a very personal moment. It ends with somebody being reunited with the, the love mm. of their youth. Um, is 
wonderful after mm. all of this spectacle yeah. and all this kind yeah. of stuff so uh okay so that's our list uh, i think that that's pretty comprehensive we will now move on to talking about our feelings of season one of marvel's agents of shield this podcast you're listening to pretty good isn't it only problem is it's about halfway through pretty soon it'll be over and then what are you gonna do well, if you're a fan of this show, why not head over to wearepodsyndicate.com and subscribe to our brand new feed, Pod Syndicate The Bonus Shows. Every week, your hosts from Beyond the Neon, Chinstroker vs. Punter, Entertainment Landfill, Film Bastards, His Film, Her Movie, and What's On Tap will be dropping bonus shows right onto that feed. These shows might be collaborations and crossovers, or they might be archive episodes, interviews, one-offs, and other treats from across the Pod Syndicate network. So, prepare yourself for the inevitable disappointment of this Pod Syndicate show ending by heading to wearepodsyndicate.com and clicking on the bonus shows. We now return you to your regularly scheduled Pod Syndicate podcast. Are you a craft beer junkie? Do you eagerly anticipate the freshest IPA release from your local craft brewer? Do you check in every beer you've ever had on Untapped? Do you know the difference between a Belgian triple and a Berliner Weisse? Then do we have a podcast for you. What's Untapped podcast gives you beer reviews, interviews with brewers, behind-the-scenes access to beer festivals, games, and more. Whether you're a craft beer junkie or new to the world of craft brewing, What's Untapped podcast is something for you. Check us out online, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and now we are podsyndicate.com. And as always... Keep drinking, you dum-dums. In this, the final part of the episode, we are, as uh, suggested earlier on, going to um, f- f- sort of, I suppose, tie a bow on season one by doing a few uh, categories. A mini award yep. ceremony. Absolutely. If you will. Um, so what we're going to do is we are both going to say what our top three episodes were. We're going to do our MVP, so our most valuable player or most valuable person or performer or mm-hmm. whatever, I guess. It could be anybody who's involved in the show. Um, and also our biggest surprise in rewatching. So I guess we'll probably do this at the end of each season of the show. So uh, do you want to go first, Hannah? Sure. Um, so the first of my top three, um, and this doesn't mean that this is what I consider to be the best of the three, but... Um, mm-hmm. I, I consider them all all equally awesome, <laughs> um, and that would be their episode number eight, the well. I like it because it gives you a bit more insight into Ward as a character. Um, you have all of the stuff with the Chitori pole, staff. yeah, stuff. <laughs> That's better pole javelin so so you get to see much more of may's range and what she's capable of withstanding mm-hmm. so yeah there's a there's a lot of physically a lot of action elements that come to the fore they're working well as a team and you get that emotional stuff um i just think the season kind of yeah moves into a new era around yeah. then okay so uh, just go for all three of yours. It's, oh, okay. Uh, my next one on my list, I have a couple of special mentions as well. Um, cause, cheat. Because I couldn't, like, I just couldn't narrow it down to three. Yeah. So my next one would be 
episode six, which is FZZT. Mm-hmm. Bit of a funny one to choose. Like, it's, you know, it's not like a big banner episode. It's kind of a standalone in some ways. It is. Well, but, it has some standalone elements. But um, I love it because that's where Fitz and Simmons become more than a like a Siamese doctor yes. you know they yeah, they have, growth, they have they? growth they they have individual character moments um the performances are excellent and i i love i love quieter episodes like that i love the smaller ones where there's not a lot of different sets and um action pieces that it's really it, it reminds me of the Star Trek episode where Picard, uh, the Next Gen episode where Picard's tortured. Is it Chain of Command? Yeah, there's a lot of those. Um, what what I think Patrick Stewart used to call them chamber pieces. Yeah, you know, and but a lot of people call them bottle shows because a, bo- a bottle show is they're often designed to be budget savers, and the idea is is that you write a script that only uses pre existing standing sets, but <laughs> but, but but often that can result in some of the best episodes. Yeah, I just I I remember loving it enough that I didn't want to be taking notes when I watched that. Yeah. Um. So I think that has to be mentioned. That's always a good sign. And the last of my top three would have to be the finale, beginning of the end. There are so many fuck yeah moments in there. It's so great to see the team working like you know against a common enemy the um fitz and simmons getting out of the sea feels like a movie doesn't it the, the final just episode. so much happens yeah. um and i think you'd be lying if you'd said that it wasn't a great episode yeah i have to give special mention to the episode tracks yeah. number 13 i love the time jumping element of that mm-hmm. that episode um and i think it's a really good one for lots of different reasons. Like um, it moves the story on really well. It shows different combinations of the team together, um, which I, I think is always interesting. Um, and I really enjoyed it. And also special mention to Ragtag because that's kind of when Sky becomes the kick-ass. Yeah. I'm a proper... Agent, yes. and I'm gonna fuck you Agent up. Agent of Shield. Okay, um, my three are, and I've, I've got to, as I always do in these situations, have a little bit of a caveat, which is that I found this really difficult, not just because there's a lot of good episodes this season, but also because, and this is in nowhere criticism, I find it quite difficult to differentiate between the episodes because um, the, you know, this show, with the odd exception. It doesn't go outside of its own aesthetic that much. Mm. You know, most of the episodes look similar. Um, And when there are exceptions, that's a very deliberate thing. And also, um, whilst there are standalones, there's much more um, of an ongoing sort of story points, either bleeding over from one episode into another or the A plot or the B plot carrying those over. So I find it quite difficult to actually physically recall which episodes were which mm. um but and again that isn't a criticism it's that's the way that the show was built you know um but having said that my three favorite episodes um all of which are different to yours oh really which is interesting are um the bridge 
Oh, yeah. Yep. I just felt that that was the point where I realised that they knew what they were doing. Yep. Where all of these disparate story ideas, you know, the Tahiti Project, um, Rainer, um, Mike Peterson, all of these sort of things. Yeah. Um, were actually designed to be together and that they weren't just having to shoehorn them. Um, and also, I think that this was the best looking episode of the season. It had some really good, on a photographic level, I Is thought this the one episode... where Fitz and Simmons meet Victoria Hand yes. for the first time yeah. and yeah. have their little fangirl? Yeah, thing. it's the first part yeah. of the kind of two-parter. It's the one that ends with um, Coulson being abducted. Uh, my second one is Turn, Turn, Turn. Um, oh, right, kind yeah. of an obvious choice, I think. Really, in I the did, way that that made my top ten. Yeah, um, is is that that's you know the shit hits the fan, and I think that that's maybe loses a little bit of the impact on um, rewatch. But like I say, when we reviewed the episode, it reminds me of that point in uh, the Harry Potter books where you know you realise that the kind of the um, the cozy world. Of the, of uh, the show has been um, you know infiltrated. Yeah. And finally, my fav- my um, third favorite episode is Tracks. Hey, um, that was the same as me. Because I just think that whilst it does move the storyline forward, it's just a really good caper episode that shows what the show can do just on a week to week episode. Like I always think about how it's a bit of a weird comparison. I remember seeing an interview with Chris Carter who created the X Files. And if you look at the X-Files in the first season, the first two episodes are both about alien conspiracies mm-hmm. with the government. And when they were writing the show, they had, didn't know that they were going to do Monsters of the Week. They just started the show and, you know, Chris Carter was like, I, I want it to be kind of a cross between Invasion of the Body Snatchers, but with a little bit of All the President's Men, a little bit of JFK. And, you know, he had this whole kind of thing. Yeah. And he wrote the pilot... And the network liked it, and they were like, but but what's the show going to be? Like, the pilot is this guy trying to find out what happened to his sister and getting embroiled in his conspiracy, but what's the show going to be week to week? So he wrote the second episode, and the second episode was just a continuation of that. Mm. And then they were like, well, you know, so what is this just going to be? And this is pre, you know, story arcs. They were like, well, what's the show going to be week to week? And he said the moment where he cracked the X-Files was the third episode that he wrote was the first standalone. Mm. And that was the first time he ever wrote a Monster of the Week. And that was the one of that creepy guy, the actor who ended up dating somebody absurdly younger than him. Um, Oh, the the dude who was in The Green Mile? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They're not... They're not married anymore. Oh, I thought it was going to work out for yeah. those crazy kids. <laughs> and um, but there's there's there right an episode of him where he plays this guy who's a contortionist and he can get through anything and he sneaks into people's room. He's like Hannibal Lecter, but if Hannibal Lecter was like a sort of shapeshifter. And he said that in some ways that was the point where he was like, "No, we've nailed the show now." Yeah. Because yeah. now this is something that we can do twenty five of a year. Yeah. And to me, Tracks is a great example of that where you've got all of the cast doing stuff. And it's quite far into the season to have a somewhat of a standalone. And I just think that it shows how good the characters are, how good the actors are in the roles, and the sort of elasticity mm. of the concepts of the show. Yeah. And I just think it's a... Re- you touched on this with the whole sort of time shift things. It's a really well-constructed episode, and I think it's one of the few episodes of season one that you could just go back and just kind of whack on. 
and uh, you know, on, baby. Um, and just enjoy. Like if yeah, you, if you were to be sure. like um, in two years' time, say I really fancy watching a season one episode of Agents of Shield. I think this would be a good one to go back to because yeah, it's an absolutely. interesting point in the storyline. But it's, it's sort of far enough through that you're not getting too much character yes. establishment. But you also get a beginning, middle and end and kind of an enjoyable 40-minute movie. Yeah, yeah, for um, sure. And uh, I like that about it. Um, hmm. Okay, so on to um, the next category, uh, which is MVP. So that's the most valuable person. Uh, that was the easiest one for me to decide on. It's got to be Ming-Na Wen for me every day of the week. Okay. Um I love her um, character. I think she's an, a fantastic actress. She brings a lot to it. She is subtle in a role that doesn't have a lot of subtle. Mm. And there's a reason she is such a successful actress. She she knows what she's doing and she brings the goods in every episode. Yeah. So for me, she gets an A-plus gold star, go to the top of the class. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I was originally, uh, I kind of have a disclaimer this, because I was originally going to go for um, Marissa Tankaro and Anne Jed Whedon, the writing team. But right. to me, it almost feels like that's so obvious, I have to kind of discount it. I think you've got to go for one of the actors. Be- because we're talking uh, about... Yeah, well, no, I, mean, I, mean, I don't think you necessarily do. I think, I mean, as far as like you know, within the the context of this, but but I just think that TV is such a writer's medium that, of course, the writer is the most important person, mm. uh, particularly you know. So uh, you almost have to sort of push that aside. Um, I'm going to be. I I, I I toyed with a couple of kind of clever um, ideas for this one, but I've got to be really obvious and say Clark Gregg. Yeah, because. Um, He's first on the call sheet, so he'll be probably the person who is the first person on the makeup chair in the morning and the last person to leave. Um, and I just think that um, his character is a um, personification of the show. Yeah. You know, he kind of sets the tone as far as the flitting between quippy and dramatic. And um, I just think that um, he. It's kind of a top-down thing on the show. Mm. And I just think he's really consistent. He's really good. He's so good at what he does. It's easy to kind of almost ignore him. Yeah. It's like a musician who's so good that you don't even think about what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's worth pointing that out, you know, at this yeah. point. But, uh, yeah, so that's my uh, MVP. Um, okay, so last but not least, um, just uh, take this home because this will have been a long episode. Uh, so what was your biggest surprise in rewatching? The biggest surprise in terms of, perf- like, I, I took that to mean in terms of performance. Take it to mean anything you want. Well, the way you framed it to me was to do with the cast. Okay, well, it's not, mine isn't okay. a cast member. Right. Well, uh, so my biggest surprise was Elizabeth Henstridge. Okay. I... Like, I obviously, I enjoyed her performances first time around. I really loved her. Um, but obviously, it's been a long time since I've watched season one. Um, and I was surprised at how quickly her character evolves. And, you know, there's... there's um, she She has an excellent way of portraying that character she it's like as an actor she knows that character 
so well that she can give it a lightness of touch and but also sincerity and gravitas when it's needed mm. um and i just found her a joy to watch yeah it's funny um, you should mention that so I- much so that, yes, yeah. she... It's funny you say that, because I actually toyed with the idea of her being my MVP at one point. Yeah. Because it's the whole um, sort of heart of the show kind of thing, the fact that we've talked a lot about how a lot of the events in the show are kind of there just to sort of test the characters and see how they respond. Mm. And her response is always um, central in those sort of and situations. And it's always growth. Yeah. You know, she she never comes out of an experience not having learned anything. Yeah. Um, you know, but she's, she's very... that one character who who seems to grow under pressure. But she's probably the most self-aware character. Yeah. You know, um, almost she's almost like a counsellor in the way that, like, when, when Fitz is getting all upset and kind of like, well, no, 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 there's usually some ulterior motive as to why he's doing that, and he realises mm. it after the fact. But whereas when she responds a certain way, you get the feeling that she's very aware of, you know, kind of what oh, she's yeah. doing. Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, Okay, um, my biggest surprise of the season um, really was just the the sheer consistency of the show. Yeah, uh, I thought it was going to be quite a rough rewatch when we went back. I thought that there were going to be a lot of dodgy standalones. I seem to remember there being more episodes of them kind of going up against like uh, guerrilla armies in like South America and stuff like that. And there's really just like one episode and a couple of little subplots. And um, I, I think part of it is that I think. I allowed, when it was first done, I allowed myself to get a little bit infected by some of the noise out in social media yeah. of just the negatives. Yeah. Um, but actually going, now that's gone and that's just in the past and, and I'm watching the show without that distraction. Uh, I was just surprised by the fact that I, I enjoyed every single episode. I think that's one thing I've noticed that this time round, because we know... We know where it all goes. Knowing we the show's know, going to be good makes yeah, a big difference. But we know where it goes. We know the end point. So it gives so much space just to watch it and yeah. and not be rushing to find the thing out or, or you know, for things to be revealed. You we, enjoy the we journey. We know what's going to be revealed. Yeah. So, yeah, like yeah. you say, let's enjoy the journey yeah. while we're on it. And that's the great thing about rewatching. I mean, the, the example I always use is shows like Babylon 5, mm. you know, is to be able to go back and just kind of drink in the performances and, the, and spend time in the universe yeah. as opposed to just being kind of trying to crack the code the whole time. But uh, cool. Yeah. Okay, so that's uh, season one of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in the books. And yeah, we will be back uh, with you soon to start on uh, season two. Season two. Season two, baby. See you later, guys. Syndicate family. For more criminally compelling shows, articles, and conversations, head to wearepodsyndicate.com.